Hey, it's Kate. Hey, it's Joanna. Do you like women who laugh like Roseanne? Do you like jumping in a pool full of lemon juice covered in paper cuts? Do you like loading a bowl at the end of a hard day? If you answered yes to one or more of these questions, you should listen to Butt Stuff on the Journey into Comics Network. The following is a Journey into Comics Network production. Hey, hey, this is Josh Richmond, and you are listening to the Voice of Survival podcast, exclusively on the Journey into Comics Network. said welcome to another episode of the voice of survival podcast i'm your host nate and today joining me i have a very special guest just to get right into the first time i met this guest let's go back 10 years okay and we're gonna time travel 10 years ago and it's actually we'll do it exactly when this episode comes out it's like 10 years and about 24 days right Ex- like exactly right because the first major memory I have with this guest is, uh, you know, Sarah and I came up to Highland, and it was the first time I had been up in this area. I just hit your mic, holy shit. Uh, it was the first time I'd ever been up in this area, and I was meeting her sister and her brother for the first time, and I think I met mom and dad, too. I don't really recall. It's been 10 years, so, like, a lot of stuff happened. But in some weird, I don't know why at all, the idea got brought up, let's bring our friend Eric. And I was like, all right, Sure. Let's bring Eric along. Why the fuck not? Let's do it, you know? So uh, Sarah, Eric, and I get in the car. We travel to Highland. And the big thing on the way up was we're going to get sushi. And I'm freaking out because I had never had sushi. It was like this kind of like Everest. I wanted to try it so badly. But I'm from this uncultured part of, you know, America where sushi isn't a thing. And we only like have a half real Chinese restaurant in our town that that's a whole different. We're not going to do that today in this podcast. So Back to it, we meet with my guest, Sandy, at this time, and her brother, David, Sarah and I, and Eric, and and we all meet up, and the lot of us and the partners and whatnot all go to uh, the house of Kobe, right? I think, do we meet there, or do we meet at the house and then drive there? I don't don't really remember how that went down. I think we just met at the house, and then we all carpooled to house of Kobe. Yes, I do. Okay, okay, that is exactly how it went. So we carpool, and I don't know really anybody, and Eric's here, so he's like this, like, let's see, one, eight, ninth wheel? Like, is that how that works? It was... Eighth wheel? Two, two, sixth wheel? Seven? There was, he was seven. Seventh. He was the seventh wheel. Yes. My math is terrible he today. Seven. See what dealing for three hours straight at a casino does to you? Like, Poor my choices. brain is mush right now. Four like, choices. Four. That's the number. Anyways, back to it. So... Go to House of Kobe. And then the real fun of the first time, like, I get to know you as a person starts because we all go and hang out and we're like, we're in your parents' basement. We're having a fun time. We're mm-hmm. talking, blah, 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 you know, being kids and whatnot. And you go to bed. Night's over for you. It's done. Okay. It was late. Eric is really a drinker at this point in his life. And he had been going through some shit. He was not at the time yet my roommate, but we had discussed, like, hey, we should maybe move in together. 
So, uh, okay. You know, like you're going to drink and have some fun. It's New Year's Eve, right? That's the, oh, that's, that's right. That's exactly what it, it was. It was New Year's. But not everybody stayed up. So I, I'm pretty sure like David went to bed too. So like it's down to like. I uh, passed out like right at midnight. So the people that were up and hanging out were Eric, Lab, myself, and I think Sarah for a little bit, but then she crashed yeah. out too. Now the part of the story that's interesting is we had to drive the next morning at six o'clock in the morning to go open GameStop. Oh, that's right. Okay. All three of us because we all worked there. Right. So I love this story so much and I'm so glad this we finally get to worst. tell this. Why is it the worst? I hit your mic again. <laughs> no, it's Shit. hilarious. Okay. So but it's uh, the worst. It is the worst story, but it's the best <laughs> worst story. So uh Eric's drinking, but the thing that I also forgot to mention is he has had a terrible, terrible reaction to the cat yeah. at, at your parents' house and he's been sneezing uncontrollably. Lab being a friend. Hey, Here's some Benadryl, man. Not thinking a fucking thing about it. Just, nope. here's this Benadryl, right? So Eric keeps drinking and drinking and drinking and drinking. With the Benadryl. And the next thing I know, he's asleep. And I'm like, oh, he's passed out. You know, lab goes off to bed. I finally, like, I'm like, it's three in the morning. And I realize mm-hmm. I can't go to bed because if I fall asleep, I'm the linchpin that fucks all of this up. <laughs> no one's getting up. If I fall asleep, they sure yep. as hell aren't going to get nope. up and, and especially not going to get me up. So now I'm like, I have to spend three hours awake in preparation to get everybody ready to leave so we can go to work on time because right. I'm trying to be a responsible, solid adult at this point in my life. And GameStop is a very important job. That, it was you know, so important. There's a lot on the line here. Um, also failed to mention that in the middle of the night, there was a massive snowstorm. That's important to the That's story. Right. So it's like six. 15, maybe, in the morning. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to go start the car, whatever. So I wake Sarah. She starts getting herself together and ready and whatnot. I come back in, and I wake Eric up, but he's, like, not really awake. He's, like, zombified. And I'm like, okay. And he Mm -hmm. seems to go back to sleep. I'm like, oh, God, he's not going to want to wake up. This is going to be trouble. I finally get him to what I think is wake up, and I think he's all there. He's looking Mm -hmm. at me, and he walks away. Yep. And I'm like, oh, he's going to go use the downstairs bathroom. Cool. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I'm going to go pee. That's exactly how I said it. <laughs> and, you know, he stumble bumbles into the room, into the yep. in, into the bathroom. And I was like kind of intently listening because I was like, what yeah. if he falls? That's yeah, my first I thought. Yeah, because I heard him come in and then you came in after him. And you're like, we're getting up. We're all getting up and we're getting ready. Yeah, it's like we, we've got it. We've got to do this, you know. Yeah. And uh, he, he, it's not the noise I'm expecting. And I'm like, wait, what? There's, I'm not hearing pee hit a toilet. He just said he had to go pee. Something is the matter. Opening the door, he's pissing in your clothes hamper. Yes. Full of clothes. All of the dirty clothes. All of them were covered in pee. And that was the first thing New Year's Day that happened to me that year, <laughs> was getting my clothes pissed on. That's like, the worst that start was how to I 2008. That, <laughs> that was the start of 2008. That's a terrible start. And he didn't even know what was happening. No. And it, it happened, and then you're like, oh, oh, okay. And you got him out. I was like, well, I, I, I'm getting up to do laundry now. Looks like, yeah, because yes. I'm not going to sit there with piss-soaked clothes, let nope. him let him sit there and so, ruminate. So it was interesting because- That was a treasure. It was a treasure. So after we left your house, we get in the car, Eric falls back asleep, we're driving, we almost crashed, we yep. spun out on the road because the snow was so bad. We finally got to Hoopston, and the reality of the stress of everything that had happened hit me. I told Sarah, I was like, I, I'm, 
call Liz and make her open. We're not going. Tell her we're stuck in Highland because I'm dead. Yeah. And I fell asleep and slept for like six hours. And yeah. then we went and closed instead God. instead of opening the store. So that was the first time I met you, Sandy. It was so silly. It was so <laughs> long ago. The best part was that he didn't even remember that it happened. No. no because no. he basically just... It happened, and then you guys got in the car and you left, and then he passed out, you know, messed up on his Benadryl high. It was like a Benadryl alcohol induced coma. Yes, absolutely. It was terrible. I felt bad that that happened too, because I think it was like part of me. I think the next time I saw him, he was just like, I am so sorry. He was very, (laughs) that was, I think, I feel like the next time he saw you was maybe at the Halloween party. It was either that same year. It was either that or one of the times I drove up or drove to like meet you guys true um, yeah because he was around almost every time i came to visit truth yeah eric was always around but and doing stuff uh, if, such if nonsense if he's listening congrats to him he just had a kid and got married well, so there, yeah that's so wonderful he's moving forward in life and doing a lot of cool mm-hmm. things that's really good but today we're here to talk about you sandy awesome. we've kind of just like worked around it kind of sort of here a little bit mm-hmm. so i'm gonna kind of like stop talking what i'm gonna do now is give the reins over to you by way of asking you this start in question great now you are I didn't really tell anybody what you do, so let's get into that first. You are the, would you call yourself the co-lead singer of The Devilish Winks? Yeah, well, I'm one of the two main singers, and then we have uh, our drummer singing backup. Yeah, and you guys, Um, man, awesome. Well, thanks. Um, We do stuff. You, just specifically you and Neil's voices, like, they just mesh so well. And it was like this cool thing when you guys started making music together, the first time I heard you guys play, it was like, oh, oh like, oh, okay, <laughs> like, this is for real. Um, and that's one thing to, to talk about my journey knowing you yeah. is that really you and I's journey kind of meshes with the music side of things. Mm-hmm. You are very musical. You are an amazingly talented singer. You can do crazy voices, which we'll get into that later also. Uh, so it's just like, where did this all come from? Where I, I, I know your parents and mm-hmm. and. They're amazing people. They aren't the most musical people per se. No. And it's weird because, and and, and even so with David, who's talented musically, all three of you are extremely talented musicians. So it's just like. That was a weird skill set that was like plucked from the universe and said, here's this for for you you and for you and for you. Like, (laughs) I don't know. So where does it begin Um, for you? Is the start of this growing up with Sarah being musical and it kind of fueling you to do that yeah, or is it you I discovered on so. your own? Um there was always a piano in the house. Um the Wurlitzer. The Wurlitzer. Um little upright Wurlitzer. Um but it was always in our house and it was my mom's piano or or well the piano that was in the house with my mom and grandma growing up. Um and then once mom got the house, I think grandma gave her or gifted her the piano and that's what Sarah started playing around on um but I just remember like grandma would come over and she would like toy around on the piano and then Sarah started learning so there was always piano in the in in the force in the force it was just like (laughs) bouncing around you and just like filling you um uh one thing I know the song your grandma would play she only knew like one song pistol pack and mama I still love that that's the only like Every every single time she came to the house, she's like, oh, well, I'm going to go over here. And she would just like start playing it. And that was like my earliest memory of that piano was that song. Awesome. Like 
just always. Um, but then Sarah started playing, you know, and so it's like classical stuff growing up. Um, but then my dad was the one who got me into listening to like rock and things like that. I think my earliest uh, song, what was it? Uh, Ted Nugent, Cat Scratch Fever. Awesome. Almost every time I would get in the car, that CD was in like the the player, whatever. And I just remember the album cover scaring the shit out of me because the dude's face is just like bloody and like just yeah it's crazy um but really i didn't start singing until like years down the road um because my first instrument i didn't learn how to play the piano first i learned how to play the clarinet first i think your sister did as well right that's very interesting sarah played clarinet and i would always sneak into the bedroom and put it together because i i watched her put her clarinet together and like get it all set up and I would go in there and I would try to play. And all I would do, it was like straight up Billy Madison style. <laughs> like I would just make all of these honking, squeaking sounds. <laughs> yes. And I just, I didn't know what I was doing. I was, you know, I was elementary school. I forget. It was like fourth grade, I think. Seven, eight. But when you're in elementary school or I went to Southridge um, and at Southridge, you could do band fifth and sixth grade. So when I was in fifth grade, I'm like, oh, well, Sarah has this clarinet. I should just play the clarinet because I didn't like the trumpet or, you know, because they came with all the instruments. And I mean, and, at this point, she you know, is heavy in piano. So yes, she's not even she, worried about the like, clarinet. She's just like, yeah, just take it, play it. Because she was already doing her own thing yeah. with classical piano. Cool. So I started taking clarinet with like the little school band. And halfway through the first year of it, I hated it. Oh, I no. just I hated playing. I hated going to band class. And... Like, I was good at it. I knew how to read music, and, like, it it came naturally to me to play it. Good. And, like, I remember halfway through that year, I went up to my band instructor, Mr. Gardner, and I said, Mr. Gardner, I don't want to play the clarinet anymore. I want to play the piano because I saw Sarah playing the piano. You know, she played the clarinet, so I wanted to move on to the next phase like Sarah was. So I went up to him, and I told him that. He said, well, why don't you just wait out the rest of the year, see how you feel? Right. So he wouldn't let me quit band. He oh, wouldn't no. let me stop playing because, you know, I was a kid. He, you know, you want to encourage a kid to stick with something and, Correct. you know, yeah. keep, just keep, go, just going, keep with going, it. see how you feel. Um, so I refused to bring my clarinet to school on the days that we had band. And like, oops, I forgot it. Was, it. it was basically, I think we had band like once or twice a week and they, they wouldn't let you leave your instruments there because you know your kids like yeah. take them home like mom and practice dad want you to too, bring also. your right and you have to practice so and they're paying rental i literally just wouldn't bring my clarinet to school and he would come hunt me down in the classroom because they would pull you from class on the days that you had banned it was mm-hmm. like an hour long um and they'd pull you from class he would come find me and make me sit in band class instead of sitting in class learning about something else just to teach to you a lesson? To sit there, to teach oh, me man. a fucking lesson. See, I think the thing I would have done is, I mean, I don't know if this is something that they could have done. I would have been like, I'm sure the school has a couple extra clarinets laying around, right? Couldn't no. he just be like, here, take this? No, he made me sit in oh, that man. class without That's a my jerk instrument. Move. And like, so I was just like sitting there. I'm just like, mm, okay, I'll just sit here. And then like, it's kind of embarrassing because you're just right, sitting there and everybody else is playing. Because I'm the kid playing. that forgot their instrument. You yeah. know, like, 
It's like, but what teacher does that? Like pulls you from learning about, you know, something in history or math. Geography. Just to prove a point. It's like, no, dude, I just wanted to play piano. Like, that's all. (laughs) But I think that actually helps fuel your journey because it drives you to be more of like, I'm I'm fucking serious. I want to be a piano player. So I'm sure that when Uh, you are boycotting band, which is awesome. Did you do that through the remainder of the year? It was like, so... It started, the school year started, and I made it like halfway through the school year playing. So, about Christmas break? Yeah. Like, did the around Christmas that program? Time. Yeah. I didn't even, that was the best part because oh, no. all the recitals, I just wouldn't play. I would pretend to play my clarinet because I was so mad at him. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Like, I was, I was very determined to like make it impossible for him to get me to play the clarinet. But I mean, I like to this day, I love the clarinet. I love the sound of the clarinet and how it, you know, melodically changes things. But it was just like, what? who does that to a kid? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I just, I'm just impressed that it like, well, let's see, fifth and sixth grade, you're like, what, nine, ten? Yeah. Eight, nine, uh, nine, ten? T- like 11-ish? I don't remember. Because I think, oh, no, in, no, because in seventh grade, I was 13. So like. Two years before well, that yeah. would be 11. Yeah. Okay, so. 11 or 12. So you were 11 and you were smart enough to be like, I'm going to find a way around this <laughs> and hell or high water, I'm not yes. playing this clarinet. So you you hold out. While you're holding out, you're like probably at home practicing the piano, getting tips yes. from Sarah. Hey, how do um, I... Did you really get a lot of advice from her in the lead into you? Um, later on, I did. Um, because when I started taking piano lessons, I took from the same teacher that Sarah went to, um, Jack Hansen. Ah, Jack's um, been mentioned several times on this podcast. Uh, he's... He was such a lovely old man. Absolutely. Um, I met him several times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I started taking lessons with him like in sixth grade, mm-hmm. you know, once the new school year started, cool. I signed up for piano lessons. Um, so I started taking those lessons and I remember like, you know, when you, you have that moment of doubt, mm-hmm. right? I heard how Sarah was playing classical music. And I couldn't play classical music the way that she could. Typical sibling rival, rivalry nonsense, right? Totally. You then know, it becomes it a competition. It like... does. Well, in my head, you know, as a sixth grader, because you want to, you know, you want to take after, or, you know, the people you're you're, you're inspired by. You, Absolutely. Whatever. Keep um, hitting your mic. Like she was my role model at that time. Totally. You know, so she, because she learned piano so quickly. Like she, you know, just it happened and she could do it. Her fingers just did it. It's like destiny. Just like fingers thing. And it did like, that was it. So when I started taking lessons, it didn't come as naturally to me to play classical music. So again, about a year into my lessons, I'm just like, man, I don't want to take piano lessons anymore. Like, I can't do it. Did you express that to Jack or did you express that to your parents? I expressed that to my mom. And like, I remember like I would practice at home and I just didn't really like practicing as much as like I saw Sarah doing, because she would sit at the piano for hours on end practicing. And I would, you know, play through my song a few times. Okay, I'm done. I'm bored. Like, because that wasn't, at that time, I I wasn't resonating with classical music. It was a different ballgame for different. you. Absolutely. It was different. Um, And, you know, my mom encouraged me to, like, keep with us. Like, oh, you're like, you know, just keep practicing. You just have to keep practicing. You have to learn how to like practicing. And even to this day, I hate practicing because it's just, it's that thing. It's that mental tick and you just have to remind yourself to do it. And when you don't, you feel bad. Have like. you ever seen the, uh, have you ever seen the Allen Iverson uh, freak out about practice? 
Okay, so Allen yeah, Iverson, so. professional basketball player, one of my favorites. He played for the Philadelphia 76ers and several other teams. But yeah. uh, he was on the Sixers, and this is like towards the end of his journey with that team. And that was like the team that drafted him and whatnot. And reporters start drilling him like, we heard you didn't come to practice today. And he's like yeah. the star, the franchise right. of this of this organization. And he's like, you guys are sitting here talking about practice. This is the game I love that I've put my heart and soul into. And you're coming to me about practice. And I love that because I, I definitely resonate with you on that feeling mm-hmm. of just like, man, I don't want to practice. Yeah. Like, I know I have to because right. when the moment comes and I'm on the stage and I have to do the thing, if I haven't practiced and the thing doesn't happen... Right. Who do I blame? Or you get to a level of comfort and you're just like, oh, no, but I know those songs. Oh, I know this. I know that. Like, meh, it's fine. And then you forget. And then you forget. And your happens. muscle memory just craps out on you. You're like, why? <laughs> Absolutely. But, Hashtag uh, the beat kitchen. Oh, goodness. Um, the hottest stage ever. We'll talk about that later, yeah, too. Sarah mentioned that. Absolutely. Um, but let's see. So sixth grade, I'm taking the piano lessons and I just kind of quit and I started doing more sports. And I did the athletic Took gambit. your athletic journey. You know, I literally played every sport under the sun. And I jumped from one thing to the next because I just didn't really like sports. I, I mean, I was athletic. It was, found it out the hard it way, It was though. fun. Yeah. I mean, basically, when I was five, I got to do cartwheels on the field because no one would pass me the ball. So I gave up, you know, playing soccer. and cause, Well, they put me on an all-boys team. Oh, like, wow. I was... I was five. Like no one's gonna pass it to you. Come on now. Five no year old boys. It's like, yeah, here you go. Yeah. Like, but pass anyway. the ball to you. You're gonna uh, get cooties. Oh God, no. <laughs> I'm sure you heard that like a numerous. Way. You're like, oh my God. I'm just like, were cooties uh, a thing so when you were awkward. a kid? I know there's not that big of an age gap between us, but I feel well, like... Well, like the line, line, dot, dot, now you got a cootie shot. Like, never heard that before. What? Nope. See, three years difference what? and it changes the world. I've never oh, heard that before. God. Anyway. Let's get back to it. So. You quit. I quit. I quit piano and I was mad at it. Like, because I didn't like practicing and I didn't, you know, I, it was my, it was my, it was in my nature to basically jump from one thing to the next at that point. Cause I did the whole sports thing. I, you know, I did dance lessons. I did clarinet. I did piano. I'm like, okay, well, what can I do now? So in middle school, I joined choir. So one of my friends got me to, um, you know, join the eighth grade choir um and that kind of opened up a whole new little arena you didn't even know i didn't even know i mean because i could sing at that point like i knew i could sing i i had i I did at church i sang you know in the choir there and like on the praise band and stuff like that but um at that point i hadn't like really tried to pursue it um so like my one friend uh it was bailey and carly they they demanded that i join choir with them um because i would we would sing you know Together, kara- and everyone like, had like a karaoke machine in their house at that time my and, guess is you know, that <laughs> my guess is that you're the like you're the like you're the friend that everyone's like fuck she sings so good she doesn't even know it what the what's going on and everyone else is like trying to sing and you're just like, this is so much fun. And you're not even really paying attention no, to like the quality of singing because you're, you're having a blast. You're just singing along to like but everyone else favorite is like, songs. and that There's the talent right there and you don't even realize it. Yeah. So, so they got me to join. Okay. Um, and it was really fun. And like I, I they do a, a vocal competition every year at the school I went to called ISMA. Um, and I signed up to do a solo that year. What does this must stand for? I actually don't think oh, I know. God. Do you know? Indiana's school, something music association. Oh. I forget. 
I I, I don't even know. It's I S S M A. Yeah. Mm. You won a My lot of those like me. ISMA awards. So I've seen the. I had all of the medals. Yeah, I saw. They were all gold. Um, but I did my first solo that year and I had never done that before. And I, I forget what song it was. I have it written down somewhere. Um, but I believe it was an Italian, it was in Italian. Oh, cool. It was like an Italian song of sorts. Um, but I did really well at the competition and I was just like, oh, okay, that's cool. And I enjoyed singing like in, in the choral spectrum, like doing the, two and three part harmony type of thing. Absolutely. And, and when you nail it and you feel it. Yeah. Like, and it was just fun because, you know, you're with your friends and like, oh, we're an eighth grade choir. We yeah. were choir girls. You, you were that like, click. It was, choir it click. was super fun. Um, but what really did it for me in eighth grade, um, they opened up the opportunity in our choir class for um, the seventh and eighth grade students to audition for the high school musical Carousel. So great segue, right? So, um, David's girlfriend at the time, um, was in the musical, uh, theater group Mm -hmm. at our high school and, you know, she knew I could sing and like we, we bonded over that and she's like, Sandy, you should audition for the musical. Like, I think you'd have fun. And I was a dancer at that time. I knew how to sing. Put it together. Why not? And I acted in all of the church plays. So I, I knew I could be an actor. Um, so I auditioned and after the audition, my choir director said, are you willing to dye your hair red for a part in Carousel? And at that point, I had gotten highlights before, but I had never like fully dyed my hair. My hair's blonde. Yeah. Um, because you guys can't see me. Um, ah, you're like John Cena on my podcast. True. Um, ha-ha. That was great. Ha-ha. Okay, back to um, it. So they so say, hey. I, I'm just like, let me ask my mom, question mark. Like, what? That's so, not up to me. You know, I'm a kid. Right, because um, the the girl who was cast as um, a, one of the lead parts in the play had a family of children, and they needed to be redheaded because she was a redhead. So they asked me if I could dye my hair red. Um, and I was in eighth grade, you know, whatever. Is this the one point in your life where you're like, why wasn't I the ginger? Yes! <laughs> I am so, so mad that David was gifted the red hair in the family because... Basically, for 10 years, I was a redhead. After I dyed my hair red in eighth grade, I never went back up until this point in my life where I grew out my natural blonde and, you know, whatever. But I was a box redhead for life at that point. So, obviously, my mom let me um, dye my hair, which is great. So, I got the part. I was one of the snow children in Carousel. I had, I think, three lines. Cool. Two or three lines. And I got to wear a white flouncy dress at the end, and it was delightful um but it was really fun because that was my first musical i'd never been in a musical before and that opens up way more avenues that was that was like a whole shift it was whole like you know mentally it changed you because your folk now the want to practice has changed because it's like oh shit if i put the work in there's like Mm -hmm. a reward i'm like oh cool i can i can dance i can sing i can you know i can do all of this stuff like so I, I did the show and I really got along with, you know, the people in, in high school and like stuff like that. And like I felt like I made new friends before I got to high school, Sweet. which was great because, you know, it kind of prompted me to continue auditioning for shows and um, kind of doing all of that. Um, so once, you know, I became a freshman, I basically every single year I would audition for every show. We did three shows a year. Um and that kind of just continued 
uh, pushing me to like stay in choir and like continue down that road. Um, but there was a pinnacle moment between my freshman and sophomore year in high school. Uh, basically I was on the dance team my, my freshman year and I was doing musical theater and like doing all the shows and stuff. And between ninth and 10th grade, they changed the dance coach. There was big drama. She quit. I don't know. Right. So the new coach offered her rehearsals after school when the previous coach did it later in the evening because of her work schedule. Uh. So I could still do musical rehearsals and play rehearsals after school and still be on dance team. So I had to choose my sophomore year whether I was going to do theater or be on dance team. Oh no. And had I not chosen the route of musical theater and staying in choir and doing competitions and things like that, my life would have been so different. So what would have happened if you would have taken the left turn there and went to dance? I mean, if you were to surmise, I guess that's an interesting question because you're right. Knowing you and like everything that you're about and, and like, and we'll talk, obviously we're going to talk about your journey. So there's like a lot of things I know Mm -hmm. within the last 10 years that has happened that like shifted back to this moment though. Yes. It's all back to this one Where shifting moment. Where I chose moment. to do musical theater. like Over dance. Over dance. Which I'm still, you know, I, I took dance in college. I took little classes and stuff. And that's still a part of me. But it wasn't like I, I remember that year feeling like I was the oddball out on the dance team. Not like I was, I was the weird girl, but I was, I was a little shy. Cause like they were all like, you know, they were the, the pretty popular, you know, pom pom dance, whatever girls. And yeah. I did not fit that image, which was it. I felt weird on the team. So I'm like, ah, like I could either go there or not go there. And, <laughs> and, and also I'm sure what helped to inform your decision is the fact that the musical theater kind of unlocked something for you. So you're like, wait yeah. a minute, this thing really did something for me. And I remember mm-hmm. that. And dance is just dance. Like I dance right. is cool, like whatever. But the, the, the musical calling is, is pulling you back yes. there. So uh, I feel, I'm not sure what order we went in, but where does, what's the next thing that happens once you decide musical theater? What's the next production you did? Um, once I, let's see what, what did happen? So I, I chose to do the musical theater stuff and continue like with choir and, um, that sort of thing. And at that time, um, I had just started playing piano at church. Um, and keep in mind, you know, I quit my piano lessons, you know, four or five years ago and, I basically retaught myself how to play piano. Oh, man. Um, because I still had the knowledge. I still had the working, you know, knowledge but of knowing. But the mechanisms weren't all how there. How to read music. I, I kind of understood the key signatures at that point and things like oh, that. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know how to play anymore. Like, and Sarah had, Sarah kind of taught me some tricks with like learning how to build chords and, you know, just doing it mathematically basically yeah yeah <laughs> like because at, at church you did you weren't given sheet music per se um it was more you know here are the chords here are the lyrics that's what you play right and yeah. i just kind of taught myself by ear Whoa. like how to how to do stuff um and it helped too being in choir at school because i was reading music there and i knew how to sight read and i was really good at sight singing in that way so that kind of coupled with playing at church helped me kind of reset 
my hands and my brain into piano. It was almost like, like you <laughs> needed to walk away from it and forget so that yeah. when you went back to it, you could maybe learn, I don't know, I don't want to misspeak for you, but like learn the right way, if that makes yes. sense. So where your hands were working yeah. for you and not working tw- right. you know, towards making your hands do all the work. Uh, so you're like getting this cool experience because you're leveling up constantly and it's like yes. this pull and this push. Uh, is there any moment within that that you were just like, now I got to choose musicals or piano or were you just like, no, I can definitely handle both. No, it was just more like it all was one big basket of things that your bag, your bag of tricks. It was, yes, it was, it was my little, you know, my Mary Poppins bag of tools I had. I don't know. Um, but at that time, like, and you know, in choir and stuff, they, when we would break down into our sections, like I would usually lead on piano and like play the parts and like stuff like yeah. that um because I, I i did know how to read music but it wasn't internalized as much because i gave it up so early as a kid so i basically retaught myself how to play piano by ear kind of and then and then i started relearning how to read music and whoa like it was completely opposite experience to what like sarah went through because she could she can read music like it's a book, like they are just the words to her and she can read them and they're there. I, it takes me longer to break things down like that because I, I learned the other way. Yes. <clears throat> you were learning by your ear and that's interesting yeah. because Sarah's had a journey of learning now to train her ears to do right. that. So you guys literally have this like really cool yin yang thing going compl- on. I, yeah. And when I, whenever I think about that, I, you know, and you kick yourself for giving things up and like, I wish I wouldn't have done or would, wouldn't have given up piano lessons at that point in my life. Cause I was, I was, I was a kid. Like you know, it was interesting. I thought that I like, cause I actually didn't know that you took from Jack, which yeah. I think I did. He was my only like, piano teacher. I thought you were going to tell me, though, that at some point he became your voice teacher. Nope. And it's shocking that you didn't take voice with him, which I have, I've seen him teach um, a couple voice lessons. And yeah. Wow. There, I remember um, the woman that was in lessons before my piano lesson every day because I would sit out on his porch waiting for her to come out. And I would hear her singing these beautiful arias. And I'm just like, how? Like, it was so high. And she just like this big, boisterous voice. I'm like, how does she do that? Like, I didn't know what it meant to take a voice lesson at that point. Because yeah. I was a kid. Like, no one had introduced that idea to me. Yeah. Um, so pretty much my choir director was my first um, voice teacher in high school, um, oh. in middle school. Is that uh, Mr. Markley? Mr. Markley. Yeah. David Markley. He was like, I if honestly, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have stuck with what I did. He was the like one of the biggest encouraged meant to me in, in forms like of like really, my early years he pushed you, you know? <laughs> and said, don't stop doing what you're doing you really have a gift here yeah don't like, give it up that's very important just, to have you know when when you basically your purpose for going to school is to get through your other classes to go to choir and theater that was my life yeah like, that's awesome because I, I did three shows a year you know it was constant what are some of your constant. favorites that you did in the oh. musicals did you do the like um i don't know if highland had this did you guys have like musicals and then just theater where it was strictly it acting? was we did fall plays that were strict just scripted mm-hmm. um and then there was a winter play and then the spring musical so did you do so you did all three i did every single year wow. i did all three shows from freshman through senior so year. high school was a total of 12 uh yes. different roles you played yes um 
Yeah, let's talk about some of the most memorable ones. What, oh, what sticks out in your mind? Um, let's see. I got to be the Mad Hatter once, and That's that was awesome. that was exciting. Um, so that was because Alice in Wonderland is like my favorite Disney movie, like hands down. Absolutely. Um, but that one stuck out. Um, when I got to be Audrey in Little Shop, that was my other favorite. That was the first show I got to die in, and it was my senior year. Yeah. Like, so I finally, by my senior year, I got to die in a show. <laughs> you were like, <laughs> And yes. I got eaten by a plant. That's, like, that's the, the best. best. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I believe I saw that play, actually. I'm pretty sure so. at that point. I think so. That was the last show I did. The when... spring show right before you graduated? Mm-hmm. I absolutely do remember seeing that then. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, um, let's see. We did that. We did Oklahoma. We did Annie. Were you um, Annie? Oh, God. No. We I didn't got know a little elementary. What, I didn't know at what time frame got, that all uh, happened. That was my, I think it was my freshman year. Ah. Um, but yeah, we, we, I think by my senior year, oh, but my senior year, we did two musicals that year instead of a, a play and a musical. So that was kind of fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that really kept motivating me to pursue yeah, but everything more you, musical theater. And everything you did. I mean, when like, because you're, you're final year of high school like the last six months mm-hmm. i knew you and and it yep. wasn't like we knew each other every single day and we weren't hanging out or anything right. like that but you were part of my life now so it's this mm-hmm. change and like there are these events that i definitely recall uh your graduation sticks out it's interesting you and my sister graduated like like three days apart that's right and there was this like are we going to be able to pull everything yeah, off you and almost couldn't make it we made it happen though because we were straight up geez like that great. but uh you know, the other thing you did with your musical stuff, though, I remember the Madrigal. Is that the oh, right thing? Yeah. yeah. And that was your we senior year. We did the Madrigal. Uh, that was really oh, cool. Dinner theater. It was super fun. We got to dress up in like Renaissance costumes and we were given characters to play. Um, that was a very bizarre dinner. I think it was uh, me, Sarah, your mom, your grandma, your grandpa, your and dad, I think my Mark, aunt was there. And, and Joy. Like a whole bunch of people came. And we were in this it was, one section. you know, and it was just like a night. We we learned madrigal songs and like we we served Cornish game hens and yeah. fancy puddings. It was and delicious. It was great. Um, but yeah, that was so much fun. Um, it's interesting because uh, I kind of know what happens next in this journey. And it's weird because you are at a point, you're you're graduating high school. Right. What's, I have to decide what I, I have to adult now. It's time to be right? an adult. And you actually take a left turn here. Yeah. I, uh, you know, so you, you have to, you know, apply for college, right? And I started applying just to um, like the community colleges around because at that point I, I wasn't really set on any specific major. Like totally. I, I didn't know. Like I, I had ideas of what I might want to do, but it wasn't like, okay, career. What? What? I don't know. What is that? I'm 18. That- what do you mean? I've been a waitress at a diner. Like, I no. So, um, I chose to go to um, Indiana University Northwest. Um, and I decided to pursue ultrasound and radiography. You hated it. It was terrible. Every second you were there was miserable. I like I took the first year of classes and I barely scraped by in like my anatomy and physiology classes. Like I I got good grades because I'm really good at regurgitating information and writing papers. I'm you know I can do That's that. That's a skill, but it's not the same as it's having not, the knowledge, right? Absolutely. And it's you know and if. You're going into that field, any sort of medical field, you have to be driven to do that. 
like for your life. It's got to be like, your calling. That's not, you know, like you have to have that in your blood. Like if you want to be a nurse or a doctor, like whatever. And the only thing that's made me go for that degree was that I could get it in two and a half years and most of my starting pay would be $24 an hour. So you were just looking at the logistics, not thinking about right. the real. I'm just the like, real... oh yeah, I can make a lot of money doing this. Like, meh, meh, I'm done with school in two years. And I took the first year of classes and I just was miserable. In that first year, were you doing anything musically at all? Or was it like only, almost cold turkey? I was only playing piano at church. So once um, a week. Yeah. Like we would have like the rehearsal like midweek and then, you know, Sunday we would have, you know, the worship service. Um, but that first year um, I did like a, a community theater production of Grease, which I was remember fun. that too. That I was got to be Rizzo. The, yeah. Um, which was funny because I I wanted to be Sandy because I am my name Sandy. is Sandy. Sandy makes sense. And I auditioned, and the director when we had the first rehearsal pulled me aside. He's like, "Oh, I'm excited to have you, you know, be our Rizzo. Like this is gonna be really fun." I'm like, out of curiosity, why didn't you cast me as Sandy? Just like and straight up asked him. I, I was just like, I'm just curious because I thought it would be funny. Like, oh, I'm Sandy. I could be Sandy. Um, and he looked me in the eye and he said. I didn't cast you as Sandy because you looked like too much of a bitch to play her. Wow. And it was it was more of a joke, you know, but, but, but Rizzo fitted, you know, like it was, that was my personality at that time. I was a very, you know, in your face, like rough and tough gal, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's the, well, yeah. I, mean, I don't know. Or at least that's what he, you know, in my audition that he perceived that more. He perceived um, your tough exterior. <laughs> he just... He said I was too much of a bitch to play Sandy. And I'm like, but I am Sandy. It's like, like come on. This is this, this is, is the role I was born to play. Like, that's bullshit. I will um, say that's a weird thing of fate that you didn't get that role. I know. So I had bizarre. more fun being Rizzo. Um, well, that's good. But so that was the only musical I did. Actually, that was the last musical I did. I have not been in a musical since. Not technically, but kind of. I mean, but in well, a different like way. Well, like straight, you know, performing that way yes okay so um, you wow is that something you miss is doing yes, the straight up musical thing is I there do. are th i actually don't know this because i'm not searching it out but are there things that you can like sign up for where there's like community there there are places um you just have to look online there are audition sites and the audition notices and stuff and cool. they're just open call type of things yeah um but after i did that show that was my first year of college at iun so I basically did that show. I did my first year of classes at IUN, hated my life, and then decided to transfer to Columbia College in Chicago. That was a tough um, decision for you, and that came so. with a lot of weight. It did. Uh, there were, this is to go backwards to episode one of The Voice of Survival, that decision for Sarah was something that was like obvious. Yeah. Music. It's what you do. Yes. It's what you need to do. Not thinking about right. anything else, right? By the time you get to make this choice, she's suffering the repercussions of what millions of Americans are suffering from now, which uh -huh. is this Sally Mae bullshit where yeah. they just... Now it's Navient. Whatever it is. It doesn't... Ugh. They can all go fuck yeah. off, right? Um, so you have a bigger burden now because yeah. you've seen what happened. Actually, David also had the same thing kind of happen, right? Because he on a went smaller to, scale. He went to Purdue Cal. Um, for a year. Right? And then he transferred to IU Bloomington. Mm -hmm. So... You know, he kind of went through that shift. And then, you know, so me being little sis, I saw my sister go through it. I saw my brother go through it. And then I was doing the same dumbass move. And, He's you like, know, fuck it. It's my turn. I'm like, OK, well, great. So and 
my mom was hesitant about like letting me make that decision because she's like, okay, if you do this, you have to take out student loans. Like there's no way, there's or, or, no, there's other, no way around it. Correct. Cause like I had a small scholarship to go to IUN, um, based on like my, my GPA and like nonsense like that. And I, I tried to get scholarships for Columbia and it just didn't work out, whatever. So initially when I, uh, decided to transfer to Columbia, I wanted to do musical theater because that was the last thing I did. Obviously. And that's what I wanted to do. And I started researching into their programs and like what their class would be like. And like, I don't know why it didn't resonate with me studying theater there. Okay. Um, Cause I heard, I heard good things about their theater program, but not so much about their musical theater program at the time. I, I don't know. You're like, um, I don't want to take this gamble. I seem, Maybe I should I do something kinda, safe. Kinda, yeah. I seem kind of hesitant at first. You're like, this um, is a lot of money to decide on a gamble. Right. And, you know, you got to choose your career. Absolutely. And so in my head, I'm like, okay, well, if I don't do that, I should just do something music related and try to go the teacher route and try to do like, oh, I can go here, get a vocal degree and then pursue a master's and then I can be a college professor. And that was initially... The, the, the idea, yeah. you know, I'm like, okay, so I chose to do a vocal performance degree. Um, so I got my bachelor's and, you know, I still had to take all the other random classes, science, English, lit, whatever classes. Um, but the bulk of my work was, you know, music theory and voice classes and sight singing and like all of that type of stuff. Um, and pretty much it wasn't until the end of my senior or going into my senior year that I really even thought of pursuing like my own music. Like now the change yes. has happened and you're like, wait a minute, hold on. Yes. I've been spending. I spent three years there. Well, and not only did you spend three years there, you spent your like entire life leading up to these moments. And then it hits you like, wait a minute been playing all these other motherfucking people's songs. Right? Why can't I do it myself? <laughs> like, why can't I write my own right. stuff? There's stuff that I want to say. Um, why can't I? Yeah. So what's the experience like when you decide, like, for your first attempt to write a song? If it, you remember it. So, the, oddly enough, which this will segue into my current happenings, um, the very first song I wrote lyrically and on the piano was called Hollow Bones. Ah, beautiful um, segue. Absolutely. We'll um, that. And that was... The, the first thing I had ever written. Oh, um, however, the lyrics um, is actually there. It's a poem that was written by one of my best friends at the time, um, Morgan Horseman, um, former Opolsky. Um, but she wrote, she was, she wrote a lot of poetry and she, at the time on MySpace, um, yeah. back in the day, uh, shout out she 2006. Would, she, would, she would post her, her poetry on there like periodically. And this was in, um, what was it? 2010, I wrote this song. So this, I wrote this song before getting at Columbia. Wow. So this predates it. So this I, was like... I had tried noodling around with my own ideas before. Um, so in, this was written in 2010. Um, and she wrote this poem. And I don't know why this particular, these words. Just hit you. It was just like, wow, like that sounds really musical in my head. The way I read it, the way I, you Sometimes. know, I, I, sucked it in that way absolutely and i asked her i'm like do you mind if i use your poem to write a song and she was like yeah please please yes that's great do <laughs> like, it of course so collaboration um, so yeah so i used 
those words and wrote, I composed the piano beneath it. Um, so that happened. And I basically just kind of stopped writing. Like I would write poetry for myself and like, you know, I would have things like that. Um, and I, oh, oh my God, how did I forget? I even like would toy around on my dad's guitar, his acoustic guitar. Yeah. And I wrote, you know, the Taylor Swift type of teen angsty nonsense in high school yeah um, totally. i still have my notebook of songs from oh, that that's era cool do you ever revisit it and oh, go like man grief. are there I, any, is there any gold in there is it all just there are three in there that i'm actually rearranging right now <laughs> oh that's actually that's awesome um but like when you go back and you like reflect when i reflected on those songs and i you know i had i had just written the hollow bones piece and like so that just nugget of time was in this one notebook right so that's set aside and then I get to Columbia, and at Columbia, I wasn't performing musical theater. I I participated in, like, the Columbia College Chorus, and, like, I did um, these ensembles called Vocal uh, – it was Vocal Lab, and then there was Spectra. And those were the two that we basically, like, got to arrange our own harmonies of things, and, like, it was more of a, uh, a collaborative – choir then here's your music learn it yeah you know so that kind of triggered um like the idea of writing my own harmonies yeah in a way absolutely because we 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 had to do that we broke into sections and we would kind of collaborate our ideas together and it was one of those types of ensembles so like we did i did those for a while and it wasn't until the later half of being at columbia that i um joined an ensemble and it was like a pop rock type of thing they had jazz ensembles they had you know rock ensembles singer songwriter type of things that um, brings down a memory because one of those times you guys did a led zeppelin song that yes. to this day blows my fucking mind it was my favorite song that i got to sing like <laughs> I, I got s- to sing the ocean and like, it was like honestly though that song being able to sing that song i did something different it was different it was and being in that ensemble made me step out from behind the piano because I wasn't playing piano in it. I was only a singer. So I basically spent like all this time doing these choral type of things. And then I got into this ensemble and it basically opened up a whole new world of music to my vocal library, basically. Totally. Um, Cause we, we would cover, we, we covered like Ramon stuff. We covered Led Zeppelin, like my my ins- my instructor would like bring in all of these like weird songs that like uh, you guys did uh, White Rabbit, right? yeah. Oh, oh no, man. that was at my recital. That was at your recital. Yes, yes. correct. You did White um, Rabbit. Sorry, and that's... it wasn't until I did that recital, my my senior, my final portfolio. You know, here's me. Recital. This is the final chapter. Yep. Um, but for our vocal or our voice lessons, we were required to um assemble our own hour-long recital and we could choose whatever songs we wanted we had to arrange find our own musicians you know put together our own show for the first time and i had a real hard time with it it was it was really really hard for me this actually marks a really cool thing though because this is the first and maybe one of the only times that you and your sister shared the stage yes which is incredible Baffling. to me that you guys are so <laughs> goddamn talented and have not done more it's, yet. But it's like our our musical journeys are very parallel. Like we're on opposite ends of the street, but we're still doing it all at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Like, you like, know, we're just doing, looking at each other like, like hey, we're doing I see the thing, you. Like you're doing your thing, I'm doing my thing, but we're keep progress. We're progressing. We're doing it. Yeah. Like we're making it work. Um, 
But it wasn't until I got to do my own recital that I I started diving into new artists and new musicians that ultimately like shaped what I do now. Is this where you find your um, Carol Kings and your James Taylors? Carol King came to me before I got to Columbia. Okay. Um, okay. I was taking voice lessons at a local studio um, cool. in town. Um, and my voice teacher said, you know, your voice, the way your voice sounds like, I think you would be really well suited to sing some Carol King music. I'm like, Oh, who's Carol King? And first time I heard Carol King, I thought she was a black woman. What? Well, I so mean, she's got based on her voice. soulful, you totally. know, and, and in my head, I didn't really explore other musicians. I didn't know. Like I listened to pop like yeah. up until then. I didn't totally. know, and, you know, the Beatles and like things like that. I never start. I never listened to strong women, uh, like solo women yeah. doing their own thing. Totally. Um, other than like Britney Spears. But, Which you know, that totally was, different. But at the time, that's I mean, I was a 90s gal and you're you drenched know? in it. I mean, yes, how do you avoid it, it everywhere when you're growing up? Um, So I get introduced to Carol King and Carol King has changed my life forever, forever, forever. She's my spirit animal. I if if my alter ego, my alternate life, past life. I am regurgitating her now. Like, at least that's how I feel. You're like um, the second coming of Carol King. Maybe. Oh, that's God. awesome. That could hmm, maybe. just saying. Um, just anyway, <laughs> so for this recital, like we had to choose our own songs. And when you don't know what your voice can do, you, you don't know what to sing. You don't know what to try to do. You know, you don't even know how to set goals you, for no, what you could you push don't. yourself to because you're limitless. I didn't know. I had no idea. That's like uh, I just watched this episode of Hell's Kitchen mm-hmm. and the ch- there was like the, the final challenge for an elimination. And they said, make whatever you want. And that's yeah. the worst thing you can tell a chef when you have all these ingredients because right. it's too many choices. It's like, like I, I could choose anything. Mike, I have a whole basket full of things. What do I do? Um, but yeah, so it's like, I and I was learning other things in my voice lessons. I was able to choose songs to learn. Yeah. But every time I would have a voice lesson, I basically brought songs that I kind of already knew already. Mm-hmm. Things that I was comfortable singing that I knew I could sing well. And, you know, my voice teacher would just kind of, you know, direct me to do certain things differently. Um, and, you know, so I, f- I felt like I kind of stayed at this same pace for a really long time during my my education there. Almost spinning your tires um, a little bit. Like I plateaued and I stayed there. Is that because you were scared to step out of the box and like have them suggest like you need to a learn little. this song and like force yourself to go there? Yeah. Um, she motivated me to, um, do other styles of things, totally. um, which was good because it, it started getting me out of my comfort zone. Um, but even still, like I never, I, I didn't know what my voice could do. Absolutely. I, I knew the realm of musical theater and choral work up until that point. So, and whoa. sorry, did I just hit you? Hit me? I'm so sorry. I kill you. I got um, I got to scooch back a little it's bit. It's okay. I'm also How about this? I'll do this. There we go. Um better. So when it came down to or came time to like pick the songs, I was I was really really nervous because I I didn't know. So I basically would put on Pandora at home and I'd put on random stations and when songs would come on, I'd be like, oh, I think I could sing that. And then I would, you know, find the sheet music online and I would just, you know, start doing my thing, right? I can do this, yeah. So I chose, let's see, what songs did I do? I did 
Well, White Rabbit. We talked. I did about White Rabbit. Um, I did an Etta James song. I did an Ingrid Michaelson song. Carol King. Did you do a Regina um, Spector? No, I did. Um, I did Guitar Hero. I did an Amanda Palmer song. Yes. Um, because she was one of the first musicians, other than Carol King, that heavily influenced my musical choices then. Um, well, because I mean, she was this whole different human, this whole different being. And when I saw them the first time with Sarah, that concert changed my fucking life. Like, Ooh, let's talk about <laughs> it. So, uh, I want to say that was uh, first time you saw the Dresden Dolls. I was there. It was no, that was the second. That was time. the second time. The first the fir- time oh, the Sarah first... and I adventured to Chicago. Um, the Vic. It was at. You got... Wait, shoot. No, that was when you were there with us. Was at the Vic. It was at the Metro. The, because you got there was the fight for your right to party at the end, right? Yes, you got and the they big... invited everyone up on stage at the end, and like, like the crowd just got up there and like started dancing and like they were Shit, on stage that's with them. Awesome. I'm just like, man, I want, I want to do that. But I was like 18 or 19 at the time. I was bit. like, I had never been to Chicago before. I don't know where I am. Yeah, like I'm just strangers. Gonna, I'm gonna stay right here and just like take pictures from afar. You know, some good pictures. Like, though. I got some bomb pictures from that concert um but it was just because i had never really been to a concert before my first concert i went to was of a christian gospel group called anointed and i was like eight or nine i don't i didn't know not doing the same for you right like i didn't know i had no no clue so i go to see the dresden dolls and like i'm standing there and like you feel the heat of people and you feel the floor and you feel like the energy coming from just two people on stage. And I just remember leaving that concert and just feeling so blown away by the energy of the space that I just start, I fell in love with her music and like it came easy to me to learn her music because the the chord progressions were very similar to what I was playing at church, and I could ah. read her lead, I could read her lead sheets very easily, like all of her the things like that. And because my voice sat in a lower range like hers, I could sing her music better than what I thought I could. Maybe better than her. No offense to her. Oh, I mean, no, no, no. Oh. I mean, listen, Amanda Palmer has a great voice, but she does kind of go on that rasp tangent where she kind of loses herself and sometimes. It was great. Yeah, I've seen her two oh. no wait hold on i've seen, I've seen her, her twice i've only seen her twice because um, i saw her on the the first chicago yeah. show they did it when she was solo when she released the oh, the who killed amanda yeah. palmer and then when we went when they did right. the reunion show yes thing which was um the worst night of my life Best I know, you show. had a really bad migraine <laughs> that was i almost died was on the floor fun. it was cool um, though because they did war pigs at the end and even though yeah. i'm like almost dying i'm just like, like oh it's awesome. so good i'm gonna hit the floor and puke now right um but yeah, so like I I left that and I I just started listening to her music a lot and then listening to artists like her and I started kind of morphing my musical taste that way, um, kind of away from like the pop and you know that type of opening yourself genre. up to non mainstream music yes. to evolve um, yourself. I didn't know. Like I listened to like some of Sarah's AFI CDs and like so I had early memories of like punk and rock and church music and pop. It's all sprinkled in <laughs> like, there. It's a weird it's amalgamation. All, all of the sprinkles. Yeah. Um but so once I going back now, what was it? We were talking about my recital. Yeah. Um and I 
I did Guitar Hero at my recital. And that was the song Sarah came up and played with me for the first time. Because I didn't trust myself to play it on the piano. And I don't know why, for the whole recital, I could have accompanied myself. I could have done that. But I wanted to see what it felt like to just to sing. stand in front of a microphone and be the lead singer. That's yes, that's right? an experience. Absolutely. It was completely different. Like, and I remember after that recital feeling so good and euphoric about this this new found energy in my voice. Cause I I never sang those songs before. Mm-hmm. I never sang the genres I was tackling. And I could have done more with arranging and like that type of thing. But what I created was um, just something completely different for me. Um, it's almost a template for where you go. Yes. It's like a really early template. But... Very early. Um, so like I, I did that. And at the time I was working at a pizza joint downtown Chicago, um, Gino's East. Um, and I had just graduated from Columbia at that point. And one of my coworkers approached me um, and she's like, hey, Van Landingham, you're a singer, right? <laughs> right? I love that. And I'm just like, yeah. I'm like, what's up? Because I had just gotten out of college. Like it was the summer after I graduated. I had no oh, musical prospects at this point. Gotcha. I had no clue what I was doing. You're fresh out of college and looking in the field. I'm just like, cool. Field. I'm just like in Chicago. I'm waiting tables. I'm living here. Like, this is great. I'll find something. And my coworker, Tracy, came up to me and she's like, so my boyfriend's band is looking for a singer. And like, you know, I hear you singing around, you know, walking around here. So I know you you, you got some chops, right? Like, do you want to like come hang out with my boyfriend and like, you know, see if it would be a good fit? I'm just like, oh, oh OK, sure. Why not? Like, like, I didn't know. Whatever. I was just like, yes, please. Like, please pick me. Um so I contacted him and we got together one afternoon and just kind of jammed on some Beatles tunes and cool. I played him a couple of the songs I had written because at that point I, I wrote a couple more um, instrumental pieces, a um, couple lyrical things. Um, and at the end, we, we were probably hanging out for like five or six hours and we were just just hanging out like he had his acoustic guitar. Um and I just had my piano and we just kind of learned some covers. And at the end, he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure I want you to be in my band. <laughs> like, <laughs> Sold. So I'm like, okay, so like, what, what, what do I do? What does that mean? What I, what? What does that entail? I'm what like, have you just hired me for? Okay. Um, so he had a band um, and it was called The Devilish Winks. And at that time it was, I think it was only a four part group if i remember um but it was it was already existing it had already been in existence for like a year okay um and the one uh female singer that was in there her name was kylie um she either moved or went back to school or something and she had to drop out and then that's where i stepped your opportunity arises Um, yep so i just started going to rehearsals and neil sent me charts for the already existing songs that they were working on um and i just kind of dove in um and it was it was really really stressful at me at first for me because i didn't know how to collaborate with musicians at that point i didn't know how it's a foreign language you know? i had no idea like because i worked with my ensembles at school and you know basically i was handed a lyric sheet i said they tell me to learn a part 
And I learn it by ear and then we put it together and perform it at a recital. You know, go me. I got a gold star on my report card. (laughs) But like it, it was a completely different realm for me at that point. And I knew I, I could play piano and I knew I could sing and I felt comfortable with my skill set at that point. But when it came to working with other people, I was so shy at first. Like I, I was, I became really good friends with Neil, like right off the bat. And I kind of like would only talk to him most of the time at practice. Cause like, I didn't know these other guys. I didn't like, I didn't feel like I fit in. You hadn't yet, yet meshed with them or had any right. experiences. I didn't let them, them, you know, see my weird side yet. Yeah, you know, totally, like, cause totally. when you get comfortable with people after a while, then you, you know, like, okay, I can be myself finally. Um, but like those first couple rehearsals, we were, we, the basses that we played with at first, um, he had a rehearsal space that was kind of like in the basement of like a parking garage. And like, it was this dingy little, like you go through this, you, you go into this garage and then there's this side entrance and then it was just this dark room and like there were these weird lights up and there were just amps everywhere and I walked in and it was just like this musty place right yeah and I had no idea what I was doing like no clue did you ever go I hope I don't get murdered today like when you walk into this dungeon well, building yeah. <laughs> like because I would have been like what the it fuck was just is this like like and when Neil told me where it was I was just like oh, oh okay cool like just tell me where to go like I don't know um and I just remember after like our first couple practices, I I felt like I was at the right in the right place. Like I felt like I was. This is destined. Okay, like okay, I'm going to be in a band. Yes, let's that do should, this. That should be what I do. Um, so it just kind of snowballed from there, you know. Um, ha, like ha, ha. you're funny. You said snowballed from there because I was gonna just say. Your first show was Tonic Room, right? Yes. In wintertime in Chicago. Yes. And you just said Snowball. Ha ha. Ha ha. See how I did that? I wrapped it you all nicely. You silly. I do. Um, it's it's fun. But let's see. So you guys so are practicing, obviously. We're, we're practicing, like, and most of the songs that um, we were learning were Neil's. Um, and Neil would, you know, give us all the charts and, like, we would, you know, we practiced and we would arrange and rearrange and fine tune and do that type of stuff and i brought my three songs to the plate that i had written at that point Mm -hmm. because at that point i had three songs to my name that was it um and i told him i'm like do you want me to bring my music to this like because i know this is your band and these are your songs like am i allowed to bring my own things to have you guys learn and i didn't know what the rules were to be in a band i didn't know what what, what we collaborate we we share ideas what yeah. like so i brought all my charts and like I, I started teaching them my songs and once we started arranging things i had only heard my music on the piano before oh i had never heard other instruments with it i never heard other voices with it and i didn't know what it felt like to hear it overwhelming it it was so overwhelming and absolutely like I remember um, one of the songs, which was on our first album, um, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, It's called The Last Full Moon. And I strictly wrote it on piano at that point. And I had everything like exactly arranged how I wanted it on the piano. And I remember there was one rehearsal that I just got really frustrated 
um, because our I remember our former bass player kept wanting to rearrange my song and kept wanting to change it and like make it a different song than oh, what I no. had, I had put together. And I didn't know what it felt like to have someone want to change what I did. And it's hard you to know? take because you almost feel like you're right? being criticized, but it's not that it they're wasn't. trying to see if they can evolve like, it. Oh, let's see what it sounds like this way. I didn't know what that was. What do you mean? Hear it no, a different I don't want to hear it this a different way. This I is how it, how it is. <laughs> Stop you know, fucking that, with my song. That wasn't me, you know, trying to poo-poo his ideas. It just, I felt like he was attacking my music. And you get really, really Attached, sensitive. Totally. You get really sensitive to those things. And it took me a long time to let my babies, like, develop Breathe. into what they are now on the album. Absolutely. Um. So I just remember leaving that practice and I was just so mad. Like, and you know, I, and I talk, I talked to Neil about those feelings and stuff. And I told Son him, I'm just bitch. like, I did not like that. And bleh, and just, it was frustrating. Um, and it made me feel like I was the asshole in that scenario because oh, no. I wasn't willing to, you know, negotiate. Or I wasn't try. willing to try at that point. And it took me a while to, to feel like I could, um, even though it was it was a safe space for ideas, it was totally. You know, but in my in my head, I was I had never been told no like that, or I, I had never been told like ah you, you know you can change these things. You'd never been musically questioned. Yes, with your your decisions. Yes, and your decisions weigh heavy when you're a songwriter, right? Because it's like I fucking did a lot of work to figure out right. how that was gonna go, and I didn't know how to collaborate with people, and it, so. It, yeah. It, it was stressful for me, like, in that fir- in those first couple months of, like, getting to know the guys in the band and um, just learning their playing styles and their level, their skill set. Totally. Because they were, they were on a whole nother level than me. Yeah. Like, some of them were in other bands already, and they were, you know, they were teachers. They were, you know, it, they were just more established than what I did at that point. Because I was just a musical theater girl. You were the like, rookie. I was a choir girl yep. I, you know i barely even knew what it meant to be a front woman like <laughs> did, did did you get hazed at all i don't feel like this is the kind no. of band that did that kind of thing no. you guys are definitely a little more soulful and not like party party animals or anything no, like that we were we were all you know very respectful of each other that's good um and it was fun it was like those early rehearsals like you you never forget those it's like when when you look at your time spent because now it's been like four years almost that we've been that's doing amazing this. Um, four years and two albums already yeah we'll get like, through those so like when i look back on those first rehearsals and i see what type of musician i am now it's like i was like this scared little bumblebee that like didn't know what like i was either afraid of being stung and i was afraid to sting other people at that point like I didn't know what it meant to to take criticism. I mean, I I learned how to take critiques in college mm. and like, you know, vocal work type of things. But it was never like, oh, I like your music. Like, let's try doing it this way. And like changing it and letting it morph into this this being. The musical exploration you know, side of it. I, you you were so attached to the idea. Yes. Totally. Um, and I had to like break down those musical barriers so to speak to let myself become a, a better songwriter was that a difficult thing to do to break down those barriers because i, I mean i also have been in a couple bands and, and mm-hmm. been a songwriter and and 
truth be told, I may be at the time when I was in my first band, probably the worst collaborator because yeah. I liked a lot of my ideas and didn't want to yeah. hear everybody else. But uh, I know that that can be difficult to open yourself up and say, what if we explore it this way? Yeah. What if we do it that way instead? Mm-hmm. You know, so what what happens to make you go, sure, let's start changing my own concept? Um, It wasn't until I started writing new songs after that because I had those first couple songs that we were working did on. all three make the the first album yes cool um, so it was um hollow bones last full moon and fog those were the first three songs that i ever fully arranged myself um and i had no idea what other instrumentation i wanted i didn't know you know that this song needed you know a cello or this song needed electric or saxophone or clarinet like you know, and in our band, um, we are a six-piece band. Um, it's piano, acoustic guitar, electric guitar, bass, drums, sax, and clarinet. Um, so we have a wide range of sound that's happening. And I didn't know how to fit that puzzle together. I didn't know what to do. I, I had never done that. Looking at a foreign um, language going, huh? Right? Like clarinet? But it's like what? we all knew it. We all knew that language. Yeah. But I didn't know what to do. So it's like I, I had to... I had to have a sit down with myself, you know, good old, you know, talking to yourself and making yourself change. Um, and I started writing new songs and I'm just like, okay, so Sandy, when you bring this song to the band, tell them what instruments you hear and let them play. And see what happens. And see what happens. I had to like force myself. Like, it's okay to do if that. they say it doesn't sound right, right or we could do this and way. It was really hard for me to let go of that power at first because I felt like I didn't. And it, and it wasn't that they weren't allowing me to have a voice at first, but I was so timid and I never spoke you up. You didn't for find myself. your voice. I never spoke up for myself yeah. in those early rehearsals because I was still learning about them. I didn't, you know, it, it's hard to trust people at or, first or with, being your, with your babies or, you know, putting my foot into this band where I am, you know, I'm bottom rung because I'm, I'm the new girl, you Rookie. know, like I didn't know. So it's like when they would talk, you know, I, I would listen to what they were doing and they would be like, oh, well, how about, you know, in this verse, we we try it this way. And then we would go back and we'd play it a couple of times and we would just establish things as they they went along. So it was really like that that first year in the band, I learned so much. It almost had to be empowering to let go and it let them hard. take some of the burden of writing these songs, yes. though. Um. Because I, at that point, I didn't consider myself a songwriter. I, I had written songs, but I didn't think I was a songwriter. You know? I understand that. I understand how that is. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Because some people can write lyrics, you know, out their ass and like they have, you know, Me. all of these words and no music <laughs> or they have all the music and no words. And that's where I started finding, you know. Both. Both, right? So I would mostly work with Neil um, we would we would have separate little rehearsals sometimes where we would um, work on our new songs together. Um, and I'd be like, okay, so this is my new song. Like, these are my ideas for like backup vocals, this and that. So that, those rehearsals, I think, are what really helped me feel more confident in our main band rehearsals. Because I was able to spew out my ideas to Neil and we would be positive reinforcement, positive feedback and it was constant building up and then you could the refine song. it into yes, what the band because needed to i know. would establish my ideas the bulk of my ideas and i would develop the i don't know that 
how to talk about it to them, you know, um, because I didn't know how to talk about my music. I didn't know how to talk about arrangements yeah. and like, oh, well, I think like, why don't we try to do this? And like, you know, and like, I just didn't, I wasn't confident in myself. I wasn't confident in my abilities at that point because I was just like, I was a baby bird. Like I was just trying to figure it out and, you know, like, I don't know. So we would, we would have these little rehearsals at times and like, I'd, I'd bring my, songs to him and we would bounce ideas back and forth and you know when we would go into the um practice room with everyone else it was a much faster arranging process getting the new songs out because we had already kind of not established what it was but we had the ideas like the root of the ideas you uh, there you know the first album was almost like training wheels yes and this was the training wheels are off now we understand the right. mechanism and the, the way to do this right. let's go so, like, we had the 10 songs um, we decided to put on the first album. Um, and when it came time to go into the studio, I had only been in the band three months. Like, wow. So you're going to the studio ultra green. And you've never, yes. of course, obviously probably ever recorded. Never or... been in the studio. Ooh. Nothing. That's a scary first experience. Woo! And I had bronchitis the first day of the studio, which, you know, hold on. We'll, we'll get to that. Sure, sure, but, sure. But, uh. So we had, we had established what songs we were going to take to the studio for the first time. And we discussed whether we were going to do um, an EP first or if we were just going to go do the whole do the full, full album. And we decided, you know, okay, we're going to do 10 songs. These are the 10 songs. We'll figure out the order nonsense later. So we started, you know, kind of fine tuning our arrangements in the, in the practice space. And we had played a couple shows at that point at the tonic room and we had a residency there. So we had regular performing shows, um, just to kind of get practice for the studio. Totally. Um, you know, so, and those shows were, were really fun to me. Cause like I, I never played on a Chicago stage like that. I didn't, I didn't know. Um, so it was just, it was a different experience, you know, feeling the audience and feeling the the reaction to what we were doing. Because I, I remember your guys' first show at Tonic Room. It, it was, was incredible. So it was it was fun. Oh. The only the only downside about the entire night, I will never forget mm-hmm. this. I'll hold on to this with a bitter grudge. Was I ordered a goddamn what was it like a Red Bull and vodka? Oh no! And it was awful. Oh no! It was the worst drink I've ever had ever, and it was like yeah. eight bucks. That's why you you don't. Yeah, energy drinks are just not for me. Well, I don't, I, I don't drink energy right. drinks or pop anymore. So well, that's good. Yeah, that's uh, eighteen days. Well, by the time this recording has happened, it's like twenty four days. I'm without True. pop. So excellent. It's weird to time travel podcast. <laughs> you got to yes. figure out how to do it. Um, yeah. So we, I, we had been playing the couple shows leading up to the studio, and we went in for that first session, and like I walked in and we recorded at Uptown Recording in Chicago. Um, and our, our engineer, Rob, um, is just a freaking wizard. It was what he does. Um, and he made the process really, um, welcoming and just like, he made it a very comfortable space. It wasn't a burden for you guys. It, it was just, I don't know. So the first day we, we just like laid down bass and drums, um, for the bulk of the tracks. Um, and we actually were really productive on our first day that we, we got a lot accomplished, um, but what we were, none of us really knew. Cause I think only, only a couple guys in the band had done studio work at that point. 
from what I remember. Uh Um, But I had never been in the studio before. I, I don't think Neil had. I think they had done like an EP. They did like an EP recording of some of the songs in the mm-hmm. earlier Winks days. Yeah. Um, but this was the first like full album that we were doing. Cool. Right. And like on that first day, I just kind of sat and played behind the piano just to follow along with what they were doing. So they had scratch tracks. Right. Absolutely. Things like that. Um, but I, I didn't know what to expect when we went into the studio, honestly. I didn't know what it felt like to be in a vocal booth and to have vocal technique in a mic. I didn't, I had never experienced that. Oh, and hearing it like I'm doing right? now in the headphones and backing yeah. up and getting and closer. Yeah, playing and... with a click track. Like, that was the thing I had to um, practice. And it actually made me better at rhythm because I... It forced rhythm yes, into you. Yes, and it helped me internalize those things and... It made me fine tune my arrangements because at that point I just kind of noodled around with Neil's songs on the piano and like I just kind of came up with my own parts and stuff mm-hmm. and I didn't I wasn't as confident yet with like solidifying an arrangement of my own. This is what I'm gonna play. Right. So when it came time to go into the studio, I like I had to do it. Like I'm like, okay, this is my timeline. This is my to do list. Okay, tomorrow I have to record four songs on piano. Okay, like, and it was very overwhelming at first. But once I got in the studio and, like, I sat behind the baby grand, like, it, like, I I felt like, I felt it was right, you know? And when you start recording, like, something just kind of happens to your to your body like it does it's a really weird thing because you're almost nervous like you're performing for like thousands of people but you're not i think i don't know what they call that but it's like the red light syndrome when you see the red light come on it alters you and it almost it's go mode it's well it's either it's it's it causes fight or flight because you're either gonna kick ass and go through the song and be a boss or it's gonna kill you Mm -hmm. and you're not gonna get it and and some days songs defeat you game over just step away you know um like, and I found I'm actually a really good studio musician because it didn't take me many takes to lay down my stuff because I I had finally, like... Fine-tuned it. Fine-tuned my ability to arrange what my hands were doing. Mm-hmm. And there were there were some times where I felt really bad about what I did. You're like, like, no! I'm just like, okay, like, we did, like, six takes of this and I don't like any of them. <laughs> like, this is not good at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was such a cool first studio experience like i i didn't know what to expect when i walked through those doors and it was life-changing like absolutely completely life-changing um and i remember we were laying down like vocal tracks and my one my one victory on our first album because i'll never forget it when we recorded wintertime in chicago my vocal track is all one take that doesn't surprise me. And it was the first time I had done anything like that. Like, that was one of the first songs I recorded wow. vocally. Like, I had done some of my backup tracks on some of Neil's songs. But for, like, the solo songs that I did, that was one of the first songs we laid down the rhythm tracks for. Um, so we were able to do the vocals right away. And that was one of the few songs on the first album that I had, you know, a solo. Um, so I just, like... We did the take and we listened to it and I was like, I, I, 
I feel okay about that. Like, <laughs> should I do it again? Like, like, so that was my my one small victory that I felt. I'm so like, that was okay. first take as well. One take, one vocal solo, take. solo, one attempt. There is one. God, track. it's a goddamn good take too. Like, like I like I love that song that a lot. Vocal. Yeah. Do you guys really probably don't even um, play that song very much anymore? Do you? We only play it in wintertime. Perfect. Literally. Like, Makes so sense. there's literally like three months out of the year we play that song live. <laughs> Have you guys thought about doing a fun variation on it called Summertime gonna, in Chicago? I think Neil's actually working on like trying to make another bluesy, uh, yeah, like summertime version of it. But it's such a fun little track. Um, but that was my, my first little victory in the studio that I felt like that was my next little confidence booster. I'm like, okay, I can record vocals. This is great. Like, check. <laughs> Score. We've won the um, day. But so that like hits you in a place where you're like, okay, mm-hmm. I can do it. I can yeah. get behind the microphone. It doesn't take me a lot. I know mm-hmm. what I'm doing with my voice. I've trained for this. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I had the technique. I just got out of college. Like I, I knew, I knew how to sing. That's, I knew how to do that. It's like the preparation least. plus the um, opportunity creates exactly. the moment. Um, and I was really bummed out though, because they, we added string parts to some of our tracks, which we don't perform live with string performers, okay. um, which I would, we want to so bad, Oh yeah. but that's a whole nother animal. We're already a six member band. Not Try a lot of space. To just tackle on like seven more people on top of it. Um, but we added, um, viola and cello, um, on our first album. And for my one song that I brought to the table was fog. Um, and I hated that song for the longest time. Oh no. Until we had, until I brought it to the band because I wrote it and I wrote it on piano and I remember feeling like there were things missing and it didn't make sense to me yet. And once we recorded it, um, I unfortunately couldn't be there the day that they did the string parts, um, cause I had to work and I, I got to the studio that night as they finished tracking for it. Wow. And they finished like I, I walked in right as they were like you know kind we're of done. tweaking things yep. and they were about to go take a smoke break and like I walked in and I was all flustered because I had just gotten off work and I'm just like I'm so sorry I missed it like I'm, I really wanted to be here for this because this was my song and like I wanted to, to be there for that Absolutely. process and like it was really frustrating um not getting to hear it and not being there and like I remember I walked in I got myself settled and Rob, our engineer, um, said, oh, we just finished up. Like, I'm going to tweak these few things, then I'll hit play, and then we're going to go outside so you can listen to it. And I sat down in his chair where, you know, his screen of, his, his giant screen and all of the speakers were, like, in the perfect circle around me. And I sat there, and he hit play, and they walked away. And as soon as it started playing, I bawled. Uh-huh. Like, I started bawling. Because it hit it you. It just... Everything just sounded like perfect. Like it was there. Everything that I had heard in my head was there. Good. And like good. that, I'll, I'll never forget that moment because I was just sitting there just listening to it. And I'm just like, this is my song. And it actually is what you kind of heard without knowing that that's what yes, you were hearing. Like this is, that's it. Like There you go. And it was just one of those moments that just like, it flushes over you and you remember it forever. Oh, absolutely. Like, <laughs> absolutely. And you just, you can't, you'll never escape that moment uh, because like I'm tearing up thinking about yeah, it. Oh my God. Totally. It's that, uh. it's, uh, and that's something you're very proud of too. Yeah. So one of my I'm going to ask you a really interesting question. Mm-hmm. I've not actually asked a lot of musicians on the show this. You're now in your second album. Yes. Right. 
what is this experience like now being Mm -hmm. that you, I don't know. It's hard to top yourself. Like when you've like that moment you're talking about that, the the fog moment, you're sitting Mm -hmm. in the chair. Now you're in the studio again. You are developed with these guys. You guys are vets together. Mm -hmm. You've done it. You've played shows. You've had success. Everything's kind of working. You go in the studio this time. Is it just like almost just going to work? It was a much different experience the second sure. time in the studio. Sure. Because we we knew what Rob's process was for tracking and, you know, mm-hmm. kind of building the song. Because mm-hmm. um, none of us really, I mean, like we, we had ideas of how we wanted to track and stuff. Um, but I, I didn't know. Um, but when we went in the next time, we were much more um, methodical about it. Uh. And we were like, okay, well, we can just track these all together at the same time and play them live together. So on our second album, a lot of the songs, bass, drums, acoustic, and piano are all live together in one and go. And really getting it yes, in Yes, like it's oh. a live performance almost. And then we would layer in electric and clarinet and like do all the... So um, does that make it easier for you then because you're almost just jamming? And, and, and it as was, long as you It was you're... a much faster process tracking cool. this time. Um, cool. And then our vocals this time, Neil and I just sang them live together. Sweet. Because um, on the first album, Neil would do his part and then I would sing my backup with it. Or, you know, I would sing my part and then Neil would do his harmonies. Um, but this time we just set it up where we could see each other. We had vocal booths that were set up. So Adjacent, we, yeah. Know, see each other. Um, and we just, we sang at the same time and we were able to track our vocals like so quickly. It was, it was just, it was different this time because we were, we, we knew our arrangements and we had been playing together and we felt more comfortable. So did you save money this time in the studio because it seemed um, to spend less time of, or does it end up um, kind of? I, I didn't know much about like the financials of it. Oh, um, okay. but this, this time it, it's based on how things were scheduled. It took us longer to make this one. Oh. Um, the tracking process went really fast, but then once we got into mixing, um, mixing and mastering sometimes can be a whole different. Yeah, because it when you have six kitchens in the or six cooks, cooks in, in the, the kitchen. kitchen. Yeah. Good grief, six kitchens in the cook. Um, it'd be a very large cook. It would be a very large cook. Um, <laughs> but when you have all of those brains adding their ideas, it it can start when you're when you're fine tweaking things and like you you want everything to be perfect and then somebody's like oh i'm not hearing myself enough i'm not happy with it and it's like look i get that but it doesn't serve the song we had to like we had to cut parts out to make room for other things and it was we were much more adamant about the mixing process this time i think we were better at it this time because and you knew what you want right and like the first album I didn't know what mixing was. Yeah. What what I'm listening to my part. What do I need to listen for? What do you mean listen to the tracks and send you notes on it for things you want to change? Like, is the bass loud like, enough? Are the I'm guitars? Like, I, hear, I hear my piano. Like my piano part's pretty solid. I'm okay with it. And then they're like, and no. I, <laughs> I didn't know. Like what? What do you mean? Um, I felt very dumb the first time. I was just like, what? What are the what? What are these but questions? But you're learning, and that's right. and that's the trick of musicianship is yeah. just like to learn over time and through experience. Um, but yeah, the second time in the studio, we were just we were better at expressing our ideas and making it happen. You know, um, but yeah, one of was it when we recorded Wurlitzer Millie. 
that was my favorite song to record live in the studio. I think we're going to put that at the end of this episode, actually. Yes. So um, people will be able to hear that. Yes. And it's cool because the story behind it, I want you to get into that, please. Oh, I'm going to. Okay, it's good, my great. favorite story to tell because I had great. a very um, ethereal ghost experience in this house. Um, so we're at Grandma and Grandpa's house. Yep. Um, you guys are living here. And uh, the Wurlitzer is in the house. And it was set up in the living room over here. And... Uh, you guys had to go out and like do something that day. Like you had errands to run and I was just in town for a couple days and I was staying here and like Sarah was just like, Oh, well like, do you want to come with? Like, we're just kind of running around doing stuff. I'm like, no, I'm just going to hang out, watch TV, you know, just kind of bum around the house. And you guys left and I was just sitting here and I was messing around on my phone or something. And I, I looked over and the piano was, you know, screaming at me to say, oh, you haven't played me in a while. Come play the Wurlitzer. Just touch these ivories. Just like, come play for a while, right? So I go over and I didn't have any paper to like write on. I was just like noodling around on stuff. Hmm. And I just started playing this song. Just, and I was just like, oh, like, huh. So I started writing down what I was doing and like I just started piecing it together. And you know when you have like one of those out of body experiences and like you see what you're doing i felt like there was some type of energy in the house oh. that was prompting me to write this song it was just like this is what it you was, need to be doing it was really weird like something took over my body and this song came out and i i still have the sheet of paper that i jotted down the chord progression on and like Absolutely. my ideas and stuff and it was on the back of like a, a piece of sheet music from like an Amy Winehouse song. Like it was because awesome. I, I think Sarah like made me a copy of something and I just grabbed whatever sheet of paper I, I could find to like jot this down. And I wrote it all out. I wrote all the sections out and I sat down and I recorded it on my phone. And when I listened back to it, I was like, huh? Like I didn't remember writing it. Whoa. Like I don't, I don't remember how I wrote it. Your idea is just, it was just, bleh, there it is. Like, and I remember sitting there and I listened to it again and I just started weeping. Like, and I was sitting there and I was crying because I felt like grandma was in the house. Yeah. And it was weird. It was like the weirdest experience. Like, because I'd never written anything like that. No. no. Like that style of music. I had never played that style of music. It's very old timey, very, not ragtime, but like, Definitely has that 1920s quality to it. And like my grandma was like one of my earliest, you know, memories of music. Absolutely. And when I sat down at the piano, that's what happened. And that song came out. And that's why the song is called Wurlitzer Millie. um, Because it's after, you know, my grandma. And uh, it's just, it was such a weird experience. Like when you feel someone in the room with you and you don't know what that means. That means. Yes. (sighs) Oh. That was my first, I, uh, buh, I'm just, like, it makes me want to puke. Like, <laughs> it gets overwhelming because you get in that space where, like, um, like, especially if there's tragedy wrapped around a certain thing, and I'm not saying that with, with your grandma that's the case, right. but, like, my uncle, tra- tragic death, he died in right. a car accident, and going to his house, even to this day, mm-hmm. there is a feeling that I will never be able to quantify to you but you have had that same feeling that you right. experience in other situations uh-huh. such as this. So 
that opens it up for you. And so this is this the what you would consider the first song you wrote for album two? Yes, it's the only song I brought to the second album. Oh, interesting. Um, because I had written some other songs um, at that point that I wasn't sure if I wanted to bring to the band or not, or if I wanted to do solo stuff, solo with. nonsense. Um, but this song needed more instruments. It needed the, the the pep. It needed the liveliness of it. Yeah. Um, and when I brought it to the guys and I played it for them, like we just started arranging it. And we just started working on it. And when we brought it into the studio, I remember the take that we made that we did because it was uh, drums, bass, piano, and acoustic guitar, and we all were in our separate corners of the studio. And I remember playing it that day the same way that I played it the first time I played it on the world. Oh, spooky! Like, and we we had done a couple takes at that point, and like the last take we did, like it just clicked. It, is there any part of you that wishes it would have been recorded on the Wurlitzer? Oh my god. Because I think that would have been like the ultimate. I I would love to do that someday. I mean, I'll probably at some point do that. Go like back. I'm just gonna hijack the piano for a day and just make a totally. video. Totally, no, do it. Hell, please. I'll do it today. Um, <laughs> there you go. Sure, why not? I'm in town. Um, but that was like my first out of body writing experience that I don't really remember. It just happened. That's great. Uh, and and I say that's great. It's scary Be- too well, though. <laughs> it, it is it is in a little in a little bit it's scary, but it's almost like in some way you have to feel a lot of comfort to that. But mm-hmm. like it just kind of like all came together like that. You had this moment. Yep. There was and it was the perfect moment. Yep. We weren't here. You had this opportunity. I it just, calls to you and the next thing you yeah. know you have this song. And you guys came back like 20 minutes later. I, ridiculous. I remember like, you and Sarah had a long conversation. I don't know I remember what I, I don't did. think I I don't I didn't play it for her. No, but you talked um, to her about it, right? I showed her. I'm just like, "Yeah, I just I just wrote a song." Like what? On, like you guys left and like I just wrote a, a song? Like I, I'm not sure what's happening. I don't know cuz like the house was quiet, like it was just like me and I was had it never summer or winter since uh fall. When was it? I think it was in November. It was like October or November. Okay. I have it written down somewhere. Good. Um, oh, I am I am quite the, the list maker when it comes to dates. And you want to make sure things. to have, yeah, absolutely. Because I'll remember exactly the point in my life where I was at. Um, but I had never been in this house by myself since grandma and grandpa died. Oh. Right? Oh. So you guys had just moved in, really. Oh, so David was here. I I think a little bit. David, or, I think, was living here. He might have yep. been at work or something, but no one was home. Yeah. And I was in town, and like I had never been in this house by myself since then, since they passed. And like I think that's ridiculous that that's what happened when it did. Yeah, I, it know, was just like you can't even make that know, up. Grandma was like she would brag about us, and like she was like the our biggest supporter at that time. Totally, what we would do. She would she when her friends would come, she's like, oh, you gotta listen to my granddaughter sing. Like she sang this for school. Let me put it on the CD player. I'm gonna play this for you. And like she would brag about us all the time. And like she was like the inf- you know, one of my first influences. Like yeah. she she was very you know. She fostered I, your dreams. I, yeah, I don't know. So it's like when she died, it was like I lost that cheerleader. Totally. You know? And so when I wrote that song, it was just like she was coming back. It's just like, just do the thing. Like You got it. You know? Like, you, you, you can do it. Um, so every time we play that song, it's just like my favorite song. Oh. Well, the, the really good thing about that is that it 
brings out a lot of the importance of her as a person. But mm-hmm. bigger than that, and this is the really cool thing, is that, I, and I'm, I'm kind of like this, I would rather bring one dope-ass song to the table mm-hmm. and like have it be the thing that I'm most proud yeah. of than like 15 okay songs. Right. So when you wrote this, it just hits you and you're like, this is the one. Yep. This is the moment. We're going to move forward. So... On the flip, I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to flip the script for you yep, right now. Yeah, flip right? the script. So you were doing some things during the podcast that I briefly brought up, and it's it's you haven't done it like you haven't went hardcore into it, but you do voices. I do a little bit, and uh, we I'm a we, weird kid, but we haven't. But we <laughs> but see, while you've been doing the devilish winks thing, you also took a new journey that we oh, haven't even touched on, God. and that's Second City. True. And that is, to me, Second City is the hollow, yeah. like the, that, the, the, the... That was totally different. Um, I mean, you're standing on the hollowed grounds of, like, so, legends, like, you know? Like, basically, I'm in this band, and um, I, I started to think that I wanted to pursue voice acting, yeah. And that's because, you know, growing up, I watched cartoons my entire life. And I, that's, you know. Of course, in your household, you watched the, cartoons. Of course. <laughs> your dad loves Duh. Rugrats and like, stuff. Like David and Sarah did the video game thing and I went the cartoon route. Like hey, that was my kid. life, right? God, and you, and when you were growing up, some of the absolute golden age of cartoons. Golden age, 90s, man. Like, hey, I, Arnold. Ugh, and like my Rugrats and my Ren and Stimpy. Rocco's like, Modern Life. All of them. Ugh. But, like, what was funny, so Beavis and Butthead, right? Totally. Mom didn't want me watching Beavis and Butthead. I was a kid. I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know what all the innuendos were about. You but, go back and you know, watch those episodes now, and you're me, like, Dad would let me watch it because it was funny, and I could imitate Beavis and Butthead's voice. Yeah. And, you know, as a little kid, hearing a little kid, you know, ask for teepee for their bunghole like it's, it's funny it's hilarious right? absolutely so i always did that as a kid and i was just like this weird creature growing up that just talked in all these funny accents and like did all these weird voices and like plus of everyone... course doing theater you have to yes. take on particular roles and maybe change right. your tone and doing a british accent or southern accent whatever mm-hmm. you know you're i tr- was trained to do weird things with my voice um but everyone growing up was just like, "Oh, Sandy, you should you should be a cartoon character. You should you should you should grow up and be a cartoon character." And I said, "Well, yeah, that'd be freaking sweet." So I look into Second City, and I saw that they had a voice acting class. But in order to take that class, you had to take prerequisite type of classes. Okay. So I had to take the entry level improv classes, mm-hmm. which um, I did. I completed them, and then I took the voice acting class, and I didn't really like it. It was weird. Really? It was different because to get to the point of being a cartoon character, you have to basically do all of the little little voice acting things, right? Oh yeah. And it seemed like way too daunting of a of a path to take. It was like starting over. Point, it was like basically my instructor at that class said, "If you're not doing like 20 auditions a week, you're not going to get a job in this field." Whoa. And that was like day 1 of that class. And I was just like, "Ha, okay." Cool. So I'm just going to make it through these six weeks and, uh, you know, I'm just going to pass. Can I, like, <laughs> can I just get my money back now on day one? Like, can I just. Oh, but it was it was really cool, though, because I learned microphone techniques in this class. We got to go to a studio downtown and we were handed little scripts and we got to record little commercial bits. I have my 
my demo CD reel track or whatever. Of it. Yeah. And the one that I remember the most was when I got to do um, in the class itself. We did video game voice acting. That's hilarious, right? And we were given like these little little phrases that you would hear in in video game type of characters and it's like you must cross the field and fetch me some water like and you had to like make choices as the actor to oh. choose what voice like okay this is set in like a viking era what would you sound like as a viking like type of nonsense and like it really made me open up um like in terms of how i read stuff oh like, yeah because the way they present the material to you, it's like, here's this script and you make all of the choices. It's not like, here's this script. These are your choices. Who do you sound like here? Right. It's, it's like this you is... you go to audition for something, you make a choice. And if it's not the right choice, okay, sorry, Oops. you don't get the job. Um, so it just seemed really daunting to even like try to do that. Um, but when I was taking the improv classes and stuff, that training I had like with making my silly voices and like learning these cool Techniques. ways to i don't know um manipulating it your me voice create cool characters in my scenes because i could i could change my voice at the drop of a hat like i can do my midwestern accent i can do my canadian accent it's like we could have done the whole podcast as my uh my minnesotan woman oh my god that's one of my favorites um, you do that all the time it's, it's my favorite because we can just talk real quiet together. It's creepy. Creeping me out. It's, it's awesome. It's fun. It is fun. But uh, that's, you know, I don't know. And I never really pursued it. Um, but I started doing musical improv at Second City, which was totally different. Um, some cool stuff came from that. Really cool stuff. I got to, st I started music directing. Yeah. Um, so I kind of did like the Laura Hall on Whose Line type yeah. of thing. I was like a little piano player in the corner. Um and I actually composed my first musical through the work I was getting. Yeah. Um, I entered a festival and this girl approached me about um, writing the music for her show. And totally different ballpark writing a musical, guys, in case you didn't know. It was so challenging because I had to arrange all of the vocal parts and I had to learn how to teach those vocal parts. And and I had to revisit all of the things I learned in high school in choir, oh, basically. No. Like, and it was so weird. It was just back to muscle you know, memory. I'm and like what? Um, but what I took from doing all those music directing things, like I learned quick editing and quick arranging. Ooh. Um, because pretty much, if you if you sign on to music direct for a show, they're either giving you lyrics um, to a, a funny song that they've written, and you're supposed to compose the music for it. Or, you know, you have to help in that process. Or they're humming out a or, melody to you. Right. And or they say, oh, I think this song kind of sounds like this. Right. And then you do the magic and the, you write the song. The first musical that you did was the food one that we went to? The first food one? Because you did two food things, right? For 773 stage? What was it? Oh, that was um, Dark Side I had done of the a Spoon couple, or something. I had called. I had done a couple of shows at that point, um, but it was Cholesterol. Cholesterol. And then Love in the Time of Cholesterol. Yeah. Those were those were two of my favorite shows, honestly. Agreed. Um, it was really fun. Come on, food but, based uh, and such songs. Yes. Um. Let's see. Where was my train of thought taking me? Sorry, I didn't mean to derail you oh, thinking no, it's about okay. that. We were just overall um, kind of discussing. But, oh, oh, I remember. Um. So when you're when you when you sign on to do these shows, like you're just given lyrics and you write a song, what you hear, I guess. Either they give you the melody idea or you just have to 
do figure it out right what sounds good you can choose any style you want whatever and they may say oh can you write this in like a ragtimey feel or can you write this as like a a pop ballad or like an r&b love song you know like they give you ideas of what that's kind of cool the though because then be. you get to kind of like take over and go well what if i wrote an r&b song what would right? that be like but what about these ridiculous lyrics right. that an r&b so song wouldn't have me to start hearing things in different styles which I was very, you know, cookie cutter. I did only a few styles. Yep. I, I knew how to play church music and I knew how to write the songs that I wrote, which were just piano jibber jabber. Like I had never written a, in a style, like given an idea and say, okay, you have to write blues. Oh my you God. Have to you have to write way. doom metal. I would right? laugh so hard if you wrote a doom yeah. metal song. So, you know, you're, you're given these, these songs and you, you're asked to arrange them and like, they may not like it and tracking back to my ability to not really take criticism well Uh-oh. you have to quick edit these songs like on the fly basically like, oh. you have a day oh, because shit. you're on a timeline like you have you know four weeks of rehearsal or you have eight weeks of rehearsal to teach these comedians how to sing these songs and like get them you know prepared enough so they can do their choreography it's like if i'm not the first thing done like that holds up the process, you know? So you have the pressure of like finalizing these songs and finalizing the harmonies and getting them taught. And if you don't deliver, like if you don't write something they like, like they could just find a new music director. Hey, like, sorry. sorry, like your music, I, I don't know, like it, it's not working. It wasn't like I've, I had never gotten, you know, fired from a show or of course anything. Not. But like there were, there was one show I remember I rewrote a song four times four or five times. And I'm sure there are music directors that have rewritten and rewritten and revised and all of those things. Hundreds, hundreds of, time. of times. Absolutely. Yes. Like sometimes it works. First thing you write and it's good. Other times it takes like way longer to find your idea and like set it in stone. So it, it like basically taught me how to quick arrange things and playing for um, musical improv is basically you just write the song as you go. And you have to you you have to develop the structure as you're playing. Oh boy! And you're relying on the musical improvisers on stage and what they're setting up. It's a very tag team effort. Kind of a give and take. You give them the style, and then they deliver the words. Oh shit! So you know it's it's back and forth, and you know they may make a different choice that makes me do a different choice. You know, so it's like you're arranging music on the spot. Oh. When when you're music directing, that's almost got to be. It was fun, and and kind of dangerous, right? Because you get a, a kind like addicted to that style of just like whatever right. I can fucking make it up on the fly. It doesn't matter, right? It's like as long as you have the theory in your head and you you know how to key change or you know like okay, yeah. I'm playing in the key of G. These are the chords I can play, and you just kind of you develop your your chord patterns in your head. Um, but I just. At a certain point, I started overbooking myself as a music director, and I got really burnt out. You had too much on the plate. I, because like I, at that time, I think I had lost my job, and I was unemployed for like nine months. So I was, you know, I was unemployed. I was taking on these these gigs that weren't, you know, high paying. Money's money. You know, like I took what I could take. Totally. And I said yes to everything that year, and by the end of it. I was so burnt out. Like, I don't even remember the last couple shows I did. Wow. Because I was so mentally drained. It It was just like I was a machine and I was just learning these songs and writing these songs and doing it for everyone else but me. And 
I had to like hit the pause button and be like, okay, because I was still in the band. Yeah. You know, I was still doing that. I was unemployed and I was overbooking myself with these shows and I didn't know what it felt like to hustle like that at that point. And that is the hustle. It was it was my first big challenge in terms of scheduling myself. And learning how to survive in that right. environment. You're in Chicago right. and it's the sink it, or swim. Yeah. So basically, uh, like I just quit. I quit comedy. I quit music directing. I quit taking classes. Because at that point, I had I'd done the full improv program at Second City. Mm. I took like comedic songwriting and I had gone through almost half of the music conservatory there damn and my brain just snapped weird that was good it did like i i got to that breaking point where i wasn't even enjoying doing the work anymore it was just it wasn't as exciting anymore it was just like okay this is giving me anxiety i have to set step back and like look at what i actually want to accomplish with my music because i was spending so much time writing music for other people that i had written nothing that year for myself bottles up you know, like, and I, I would get frustrated because I would go, you know, into my practice room at home and I'd sit down and I would, you know, toy around with covers and, but I never started writing my own shit again. Like I, I basically had those songs I brought to the devilish winks. I stopped writing, started doing second city and doing that whole gambit. And like, I got to the, the tipping point and I said, oh, okay. Yet again, a choice. Decision. <laughs> yeah. The road forks yet you again. Know? And so, I think at this point, you've kind of learned, too, that just because right now you decided that the comedy in the mm-hmm. Second City thing isn't your choice doesn't mean you can't go back to it cause, because now it's right. in your skill set. I have, I have, you know, my, my another bag of tricks. Like, and people still contact me to music direct shows. Like, and it's, I recently finally got back into it with my friend Kelly. She wrote and performed an entire solo um, show. Oh, and cool. I composed the music for that. And it felt really good to get back into it. Like, not that I'm, you know, diving back in. It wasn't in, like you were taking on a million things it, anymore. I had to have the right show to come back to. And getting to work with Kelly and um, the director, Jonald, um, again, it was just, it was the perfect fit at the time. And it, it filled a little void that I was missing for a minute. Um, but I basically just, like, when I stopped music directing, I just cut it all out. All Done. of it. I, I didn't go to shows. I stopped like seeing people. I didn't go to class anymore. And it was just like an entire world of mine was shut off. And I yeah. did it to myself, you know. Like, but it was because you burn out. I, and I, even seeing those people could just, open up, hey, do you want to do this show? Right. And, you know, when I bump into people, I'm just like, it's 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 wonderful to see them again. Absolutely. And I see what they're doing. And they're, they're still doing shows. And they're being Killing successful. It. And it's great to see what they're doing now. And a part of me still misses it and being a part of that community. But now you can be um, a little more choosy. And if there's something right. that comes along that you really believe in, you can do it. And guess what yeah. that's going to be? That's going to be a passion project for you that gives right. you an opportunity to shine versus right. putting out. And this goes back to the one song mm-hmm. versus five songs on the album. Right. It, it, better to bring your best effort than to yep. make ha- half-assed efforts yep. across the board. It just, Whole ass one thing. Don't half-ass 80 things. Right? <laughs> that's perfect. Yes, absolutely. Um, so it's like when I stopped music directing, I literally took like an entire month off. Holy shit. Like, and I had just started a new serving job and I was like, okay, just get back into work, focus on the band and just chill for a minute. Is this and your current gig? Yeah, you, I'm still, okay, okay. same sure. restaurant, cool. uh, a little breakfast joint. It's wonderful. 
Um, yes, it is. That waffle that I had. Oh, my God. Great. I still have the picture in my it's phone. It's off the menu now, but oh. I know it's gone. Sad day. Um, regardless. Um, so I stopped music directing and literally in six months, I wrote four new songs. Damn. For And in the grand scheme of things, doesn't seem like a lot if you're a songwriter, but when you haven't written anything of your own in the longest time... Even getting one song yes. out can be a task. And I just had one of those giant brain dumps where everything that had been bottled up in my life up until that point, just there it is. Like, and you're, now now you feel a little refreshed, obviously, because yes. you've gotten that out of yes. you. Yes, and it was different. It wasn't anything I'd written before, and it was it was, it was was different energy. Refreshing. You know? Um, and that's going to, those songs, I now am on a bank of like 12 or 13 new songs that I'm just kind of, you know, I'm building my list of solo songs that I'm eventually going to release as, you know, my own solo adventure. Hell yeah. Um, and I'm working on those right now. I um, still have a, a beautiful idea that you should do at some point, And that's the full Carol King album. Like, Oh, I'm, I have learned half of the Tapestry album right now. Neil and ooh. I are kind of tackling that because he's the James Taylor to my Carol King. 100%. 100%. He's like, also even when I look at pictures of Carol King and James Taylor from like back in the day, it's us. It's literally us. <laughs> like <laughs> Neil kind of looks like Jason Lee slash Dave Grohl, mm-hmm. and I will never not tell him that all the time. Oh, that's hilarious! Because it's just like the first time I saw him was the the Tonic Room show. Oh you yeah, know? and it, it was just it. As soon as you guys were done playing, mm-hmm. I followed him towards the back <laughs> and I tapped him and I was like, "Hey, man." First I'm sure <laughs> you. I'm sure you get this every day of your entire yeah. fucking life. But do you know you look kind of like Jason Lee and also like Dave Grohl? Oh my God. And he just kind of giggled and went, "Yeah." And then like that was mm-hmm. the first exchange we had. So, um, uh, he is definitely a just very important part of what you can do. Yes. And the crazy thing is, is really, and this is something mm-hmm. you guys probably haven't necessarily explored yet, but like. What you're doing now musically is only the very small tip of the iceberg. Once you branch even further out and start really piecing together further ideas, mm-hmm. once this has been a 10-year venture or whatever, yep. you guys are going to be able to create things that you'd look back on your first album and go, ha, that was oh, funny. Yeah. <laughs> like, I remember when we did that, that we were kids then, you know, like, no. that was great. And then you look at this other thing and you're like, it's, I can't believe we made it's this. Just, it's just, it's, it was fate that he kind of came into my life right when I got out of school and like... The devilish wings have like shaped me yeah. for what I and you shaped I'm them too. Um, I mean, as much as the as much as you were the rookie and the green kid coming in, mm-hmm. by the time the first album is done, you did so much for that band. Not just musically, because also artistically speaking, you did the art for both albums, right? Yes, um, I hand painted everything. That's ridiculous. Um, the, on the first album, like the the inside panels, we we hand typed like on the computer and. photoshop that but on the second album everything is hand painted and hand drawn wow um and it's i in my head like i they they all incorporate all of the the designs incorporate into one another and it all tells one giant weird story but i already see in my head the other two albums that the next i I feel like the next album we release we we jokingly say we're going to do a double lp the next time because we have enough music backlog at this point why not you know, between the 
thousands of songs that Neil has in his bank, and I've got new songs. Like Not a lot of bands, and I want you to really think about this. Not a lot of bands are not only talented enough, but confident enough to release a double LP. So if you guys mm-hmm. think you can do it. It would be so fun. Just do it. Um, I, yeah, you know, we'll see. We'll see if how it, if it happens, uh, you know? that ball gets rolling. Um, so, but now that the second album's done, um, you know, we can finally start arranging new songs because we haven't really arranged anything new since you started working on the we second started album. arranging the second album yeah. and those are done we've we're performing them, them. Live, we play yeah. them all the time um but now we need to start going into the next phase of new new tunes so um, i'm gonna ask a question on the second album yes. you said it kind of tells one overarching story does that mean it's thematically like a concept album intentionally no, or not or is it just um, it has a lot it's of themes more it's more like every song is its own little world um okay. and that's basically where the name of the band came the devilish winks are the songs themselves oh. um every song is a wink in time it's it's I own little that. little flicker it's own little you know oh, whatever God you want to say that's right so clever so it's like we don't we're not just one genre we're not just folk music we're not just metal we're not can just do anything. this but somehow it all works and every song is its own you know little universe and eventually it would be cool to write a concept album together because we haven't done that only one song on the album on the second album the band fully arranged together like in the room like from oh. nothing you know like Instead it just of it started being an with idea like from somebody. just started with a drum beat then i started singing over it and then you know we started you know it was just one of those it's little little songs that just happened totally. we're like oh we just wrote a song together guys like more hey. of this more of <laughs> this you know we we arrange things together but predominantly it, it was like neil would bring songs or i would bring songs our bassist rudy brought some songs um to the second album and you know and it'll it'll continue to be that type of process but i'm i'll be really interested to see what we do on this next album because we we haven't like done like a concept album the, the doors like that, are open at this you know? point um but yeah every every song is its own little story its own little wink its own little type of thing that's awesome um i, I didn't yeah. i did not know that that's where the name came mm-hmm. from or that was the meaning behind it so that's yeah. really cool and actually i was under the misconception that that was your name and the reason I, that i came mm-hmm. up that i thought that and let me explain is because by the time you guys were at the point where you were doing your first shows uh-huh. it was almost about the time that the album was getting ready to launch yes. right so I'm seeing your your art mm-hmm. say the devilish winks, and you have this concept that you drew. And in my mind, I just went, right. "It's Sandy's fucking <laughs> idea. It's great. I love it." You know? No, I think well, the, the, the first... artwork was my idea. Well, totally. Um, but, but I also thought the name came with that. Yeah, like you and were just like funny, the devilish winks of school. I remember being in the studio while we were doing the first album, and I hadn't done any of the artwork yet. So we were recording the album. I kind of had one painting done for it, the green eyeball, mm-hmm. right? Um, it was your first flyer. But the cover, the album cover, I had the idea while I was going to the bathroom on our break of tracking in the studio of what the album cover was going to look like. Everybody in eye form. Like, because you know when you do your best thinking on the toilet or in the shower and yeah. like you have these weird It ideas. just hits you and you're like, oh, fuck, why and did I, I think of that before? I came out of the bathroom and I went and I sat down on the couch and I started doodling and I drew out the idea and I said, Neil, I'm going to turn us into eyeballs. <laughs> like, that was it. And then, then I created all the band members on the album as a, a different little eyeball. And, the rest. and that was it. Um, 
so, you know, thanks to the bathroom at Uptown for the album cover idea. <laughs> that was just the, that was that was more like a moment in time. The just, idea was I was thinking, I don't know. Um was there. But yeah, so we're we'll eventually start working on our third album, fourth album, whatever you want to call it and, Excellent. and eventually see, that'll happen and you're obviously um, playing gigs around yeah it's yeah hard to um, schedule with a lot of people in a band it, it is um but we play regularly at like um the elbow room martyrs um we've got a show at the burlington coming up on february 9th yeah um and eventually i believe in march we're trying to book our release show at martyrs um we did our first release show there so we're going back to our roots and playing there again for our second release so the album isn't um, officially out yes physically um, it is physically out you can get it on itunes google play all of digital okay. platforms cool um but you can download it on itunes and that type of stuff but we do have the physical cds for we'll sale off our one. website we'll have to buy one. um but go to the devilishwings.com and you can buy our cd and get my artwork um but yeah We'll uh we'll see what happens next. Cool. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Yeah. It's we're nearing the two o'clock time, yes. and I know you have some things to do. Oh, yes. So before we get out of here, we'll do the plugs for the show. As always, folks can check out the Voice of Survival podcast on the Journey into Comics Network at journeyintocomics.com on all the different podcasting platforms, whether it's iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Music. We are now on Spotify. That's a big one for us. Go to our Patreon, patreon.com backslash journey into comics. Right now we're doing the Road to Infinity War. That's going to take you through the MCU, all 18 movies leading up to the Infinity War release in May. Sandy, thank you so much for Thanks coming for on. Thanks for having me. This it was, was an, super fun. It was an absolute blast. And uh, I think that really we could bring you back because I think there's a lot more still to tell within oh, the story. Yes. We've really only hit the tip of the iceberg as I uh, referenced that earlier. But uh, mm-hmm. thank you so much for coming on. What we're going to do is now we're going to close the show with your track, Wurlitzer Millie. Yes. So before we do that, we'll get out of here. I've been Nate. This is Sandy. And thank you guys so much for listening. Later.
Thank you.